President Miner, the recording is now on. It is 2.06 p.m. Good afternoon. I'm using my virtual gavel, since I'm not gaveling today, to call to order this meeting of the San Francisco Civil Service Commission on Monday, May 15, 2023, at approximately 2.06 p.m. Our commission staff will read a statement with more information about our meeting today. Thereafter, staff will tell us how we're handling public comment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Civil Service Commission meeting this Monday, May 15, 2023. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall Room 400 and available to view on WebEx if you have an item scheduled on the agenda. The public may listen to the meeting by calling area code 415-655-001 and access code 260-872-8035, followed by the password pound 27230. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment on items not on the agenda at the beginning of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Commission staff will provide further instructions on how to provide public comment via phone or video. If you need assistance accessing the meeting virtually or by phone, please call area code 628-652-1100 or send an email to elizabeth.aldana at sfgov.org. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. Commission staff will now provide further instructions on making public comment remotely. As stated on our agenda and our website, this meeting is being held remotely. For members who wish to listen- There are 70 people on this call? For members who wish to listen and or to make public comment, the phone number is 415-655-0001. The meeting ID code is 2600-872-8035. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and that you turn off any television or radio to reduce reverberation so the commission can hear you. At the appropriate time, the president will ask for the phone lines to be open. If you wish to comment on the particular item, you will be prompted to press star three. This will add you to the speaker line. The auto prompt will say the callers are entering question and answer time, but this is your public comment period. You will be queued up in the order in which you press star three. There will be an automated voice that will tell you when it is your turn to speak. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear us ask you to state and spell your name clearly and to make your comments. Commission staff will start your three minutes when you begin talking. 
we will say 30 seconds when you have 30 seconds remaining. When your time is up, I will say thank you. Next caller, please. At this point, the moderator will put you back on mute. Thank you. We're ready for the first agenda item. Item number one, call to order and roll call. President Minor Here. Vice President Favetti? Here. Commissioner Chan? Here. Commissioner Crowley? Present. Commissioner Salveson? Here. And we have a quorum. Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item two, request to speak on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. Uh, members of the public and those of you present, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission. If you have public comment and if you're in the room, you may uh, come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press. I can't start. hear anything. I don't know what's. Excuse me. There is someone who needs to mute their phone. Is there a meeting going on? I can't hear anything. Uh, Elizabeth, can you tell who that is? Uh, yes, I can. Uh, I'll, I'll try to see if I can get to him. Okay, thank you. Okay. We will start uh, public comment. If you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three. President Miner, if I could please. Yes, speak. please. During general public. During general public comment, members of the public sometimes wish to address the Civil Service Commission regarding matters that may come before the Commission in its capacity as an adjudicative body. The Commission does not restrict this use of general public comment. To protect the due process rights of parties to its adjudicative proceedings, however, the Commission will not consider, in connection with any adjudicative proceeding, statements made during general public comment. If members of the public have information that they believe to be relevant to a matter that will come before the commission in its adjudicative capacity, they may wish to address the commission during the public comment portion of that adjudicative proceeding. The commission will not consider public comment in connection with an adjudicative proceeding without providing the parties an opportunity to respond. At this time, the commission will take public comment on matters not on the agenda, but within the jurisdiction of the commission. The maximum time allowed will be three minutes unless a significant number of speakers request to be heard, in which event the commission president or chair may elect to reduce the maximum time allowed. A subsequent comment made by an individual speaker after their initial allowance is limited to one minute. Okay. Um, before we start public comment, I just want to clarify if your public comment relates to agenda item 12, which is the opportunity for the public to address the commission about rule changes that may expedite hearing, we're going to ask you to hold your public comment until we get to agenda 12. This item is specifically for any public comment that is not listed on the agenda. So thank you. And we're ready to proceed. You'll have three minutes. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Joanne Marr, and I've been employed with the San Francisco School District for over 37 years now. I work at the school district's radio station, KALW, as an announcer operator in the job classification 3535. 
I was the last announcer who was hired as a permanent. Since 1988, there have been no tests created or given to fill 35-35 positions on a permanent basis. We currently have three permanent positions that are vacant. We have three as-needed announcers who are filling those positions right now, and they've been doing so for the last uh, several years. Two of them have worked as TEX temporaries for literally decades. One of them, who's uh, behind me, has been a temporary for over 25 years. They have been working over 10,040 hours each year for at least the last four or five years, and yet they're still temporary. This is definitely a violation of our union contract, and it's probably a violation of civil service rules as well. So there's been a clear pattern of allowing temporary workers at KALW to exceed 1,040 hours every year. Under civil service rules, these three announcers uh, should have been given the opportunity to become permanent years ago, but it hasn't happened because the school district has not, in fact, been making every effort to develop, update, and administer the exams as required by our contract. Our union has been doing a big push for these exams to be given to not only KALW, but the hundreds of temporary workers in the school district. But uh, at KALW, things have been moving way too slowly. So every time the union has been meeting with the school district's labor relations people for the last few years, we ask why, why the delay? And they always tell us they don't control the creation of the exam, it's the city and county that does it. And then the issue falls into a black hole because no one from the school district is actually reaching out to the city county to ask them to give new exams. And so if no one's reaching out to the city, it just doesn't happen. And that's what's been going on with the exam uh, for KALW and why it hasn't been given in the last 35 years. And that's why, after all these years, nothing is going to continue to happen for the next 35 years unless both the school district and the city get together and are somehow motivated to get these exams created. So we're asking for your intervention in the hopes that civil service can somehow give both of these entities the motivation to get the test done finally. So all the temporaries at KLW and the hundreds of other temporary workers in the school district can finally become permanent. It is disgraceful that the situation has been allowed to continue as long as it has. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kevin Vance. I am a worker at, for the San Francisco Unified School District as a temporary as needed announcer for the radio station KALW since 1992. When I was hired, I understood at the time I would be a temporary staff member, but that it was possible that I could be a permanent employee. It has never been made clear to me by anyone in all my time working here if or when I would qualify to be a civil servant. 2015, eight years ago, I was asked to be the regular weekday morning announcer. I've regularly come in every day before five o'clock in the morning. I usually work a seven hour shift every day. My work is very demanding and requires constant attention to detail. I'm exhausted by the end of my work day. It seems there's this test I'm supposed to take and it's never been offered to me. I want to say that every teacher, every office worker, every school lunch servant, every custodian, and yes, every radio announcer and operator who works for the district 
earns and deserves the respect and rewards for their hard work for the people of San Francisco and the Bay Area at large. And one of those rewards is gaining the security, job protections, and benefits afforded by permanent status, which has been denied to me all these years. I'm now 64 years old. I have an adult son on the spectrum, and I'm a cancer survivor. And I've worked for KALW for, from part-time to full-time for over 30 years. I'm proud to work for the radio station and for the school district and to be a member of SEIU Local 1021. I would hope that after my many years of service that I would be qualified to have the status of being a permanent employee. It would be unfair for me for whatever reason that after all this time of my hard work and dedication that I cannot be allowed the benefits that could, would, and should be afforded to me. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your comments. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Damian Miner, and for the past nine years, I've served as a staff announcer for the school district's radio station, KALW. As a native of San Francisco, I've had really what you can say, uh, inspiration and I uh, always been inspired to uh, serve my community through the city and county as well as live out, live out another dream which happens to be media so I guess you could say I'm basically living a dream right as of 2019 I was working more than 30 hours at the radio station and was given benefits and then the next year the pandemic hit and I was almost laid off by the then general manager and then to turn me into a contract employee with no benefits fewer hours and less pay. Fortunately, that didn't happen, thanks in part by my KLW counterparts and SEIU 10 to 1. While all this is going on, I'm a TEX employee and having to take care of my parents, my father being one who has been in a hospital for the last year and a half. He's uh, suffered a stroke and he's had to do dialysis for the last, mm, um, six years mm. and having to pay for all of his medical expenses by way of his by way of my benefits every day i wake up with anxieties of wondering whether i still have a job so um it's kind of hard so anxieties are high stress is high and uh, a lot of it has affected my job performance at times well, because of my position, there's, you know, they can lay me off. There's no rhyme or reasoning. It's just because of my status. I have to say for nine years in this position as TEX, it's ludicrous. It's scary to be in a position where you don't know what your faith is from day to day. I can't live like this. So I ask of you, please help and make a change for the better and help my counterparts and I, and help us become permanent, you know. So give us a chance, give me the chance to become permanent and to serve my community within the city and county. After nine years of having to deal with this, I think I deserve to become permanent. And I have to say, I speak for my KLW counterparts, as well as my counterparts within the school district, whether that be the health workers, student nutrition, who's also going through something like this as well, as well as custodians and many others. 
I thank you for your time. Thank you for your public comment. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Michael Tall. I'm with SCIU 10 to 1. Uh, first, I'll be reading a statement from a worker uh, that couldn't attend, um, David Latulip. He writes, being an employee of KLW since 2002, first as an office assistant, then as an as-needed announcer, and now in what I was led to believe was a permanent part-time position, but was subsequently informed that that is not the case. It is disturbing to have such uncertainty after such a long period of time uh, in service to the station. Uh, so that's David's comment. And, and I just wanna uh, speak uh, as myself uh, on behalf of the temporary workers at San Francisco Unified School District. But the district is in a horrible situation and the workers are specifically in that horrible situation where a quarter of these folks are in temporary positions. Uh, as Damien was saying, there's no just cause. Uh, every day, folks worry about losing their job. These are mothers, fathers, people supporting their families, children, other family members. And what the message they're being sent is that you know, they're expendable, okay? Yet these are the people who are feeding the children, who are cleaning their schools, right? Are San Francisco's future generation. So SCIU 10 to 1's position is that these civil service examinations need to be offered to these workers. Folks that have been doing their jobs for years and years it's clear that they can do their job. Offer them the exam to, to get that permanent status so they can have just cause and all the other protections that come along with that. The student nutrition workers are constantly scheduled for less than four hours a day, which as you know, means that they're not eligible to receive a pension. After years of working for the district feeding the kids, they retire with nothing left. And for the KLW folks over here, they need their exam. There are positions open for permanent jobs and they have three folks to fill those vacancies. So do the right thing, make these SF Unified workers permanent. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment for this agenda item in the room? Yes, my name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm with the United Front Committee for a Labor Party. And there was a rally here earlier today of uh, home care workers, of workers who take care of uh, homeless kids and people who need counseling. And these workers are in the nonprofit sector. And what I have to say is not just to the Civil Service Commission, but the people of San Francisco, and that is why aren't these workers being paid as public workers? They're doing public work. They're doing public work that other public workers are doing. It seems to me we have a serious crisis in San Francisco, and it has to do with the attack on civil service system, the merit system, that workers are being outsourced and privatized. 
There's massive privatization going on in San Francisco. And public workers are being siphoned, um, are being, their jobs are being destroyed, or they're on temporary status. That's wrong. It's an attack on the public workers, and it's an attack on the public and the people of San Francisco. These workers who are doing public work need to be paid public pay. They need to be city workers. And these nonprofits workers should be folded into the public, uh, public system, public worker system. That is something that needs to be done for human rights. I say equal pay for equal work. And if you're doing the work of a public worker in San Francisco, and that includes the business districts that have been set up in San Francisco, thousands of workers are working in these business districts at 30, 40, and 50% less than similar workers in San Francisco in the public services. How could that be? And a large number of these workers are black and brown workers. They're not making living wages, but they're on the streets doing the work for the people of San Francisco. This really is wrong, and it's discriminatory, and it's actually an opening for corruption and nepotism on who gets the jobs. Because who's doing the oversight of these public nonprofits, supposedly public nonprofits? There's no real oversight. And that's one of the reasons there's a corruption crisis in San Francisco, because these nonprofits have no oversight. Who's responsible? So it's the people of San Francisco, the workers who are getting ripped off, and the people of San Francisco are getting ripped off. So we have to end this system of outsourcing, privatizing public jobs in San Francisco. And that requires a political struggle and it requires the unions to demand equal pay for equal work. The other thing I wanted to talk about today is what's going on with Laguna Honda Hospital. Because there's an attack on this public hospital, the best public hospital in California in a city. And the workers and the patients are being terrorized there. Uh, they're threatening to shut it. And it seems to me the mayor, uh, this, the Governor Newsom and Xavier Becerra, uh, health secretary, they need to be held accountable when these discharges took place and 12 people died. There are no poems to go in, in, in for these nursing homes because they're run by the billionaires and there's no proper oversight. That's why there's no place to go. So I think that the Civil Service Commission and the people of San Francisco has to defend that, and there's going to be a rally at 4 o'clock on Thursday at the hospital to defend Laguna Honda. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Any additional public comment in the room? Uh, Elizabeth, are there public commenters on the telephone? President Miner, we have two callers on the line, so I'll unmute the first caller. Thank you. Caller, you're unmuted. Please state and spell your name clearly for the record. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I pledge the allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands indivisible with liberty and justice for all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I was a health worker for San Francisco Public Health for many years. I am a union delegate representing government employees. I have been a resident for more than 37 years in San Francisco. I ran for San Francisco mayor in 2018 and 2019 against failing policies. I am here today to be my each one of you, commissioners, human service director, Carol Eisen, employer labor relations leaders, department heads, Mayor Landon Breed, Board of Supervisors, 
about your San Francisco COVID-19 vaccine mandates. San Francisco government fired more than 2,000 government employees due to no vaccine. No vaccine, no job is not only illegal, but also it is treason for you to keep on helping the globalist, the one world order government to inject a bioweapon COVID-19 vaccine. As of today, May 15, 2023, San Francisco still imposed no vaccine, no job for city employment, which violate workers' constitutional rights. San Francisco leaders and elected officials violate their oath of office, willfully helping the globalists for their one world order government to force a bioweapon COVID-19 vaccine that has no benefit for our city. COVID-19 Agenda 21, created in 1996 by the globalist one world order government, vaccine must plan to depopulate Americans. Forcing COVID-19 vaccine for jobs violate medical rights, civil rights, religious rights, and constitutional rights. Vaccination proved to be useless and very harmful. And now we know and we see more and more vaccinated people suffering from many health problems, including sudden deaths. Today, I'm asking you to end your vaccine mandate. We call all unvaccinated, terminated police, firemen, muni drivers, health workers, and all unvaccinated workers back to work now. Thank you, and may God bless San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Uh, Elizabeth, we're ready for the next public commenter. Okay, President. Caller, you are now... You are now unmuted. Please state and spell your name clearly for the record. Hello, caller, are you still there? President Minor, I think the caller dropped. Um, I've unmuted the caller, but I, we can't seem to hear them. Okay, we will uh, conclude uh, public comment on this agenda item and we are ready to move to agenda item three. Item three, approval of minutes, regular meeting of May 1, 2023, recommendation, adopt the minutes. Uh, commissioners, are there any comments, edits, or changes to our minutes of our meeting of May 1, 2023? If not, we'll take a motion and a second to approve the minutes. I move approval of the minutes. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve the minutes of our meeting of May 1st. If there is any public comment on the motion, if you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to approve the minutes of our meeting of May 1, 2023. Vice President Favetti. Aye. 
Aye. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved our minutes of our meeting of May 1, 2023. Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item four, announcements. Announcements of changes to the agenda. There are no changes. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item five, human resources director's report. <laughs> Director Eisen. Minor members of the commission. Uh, uh, good afternoon. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody can hear me before I get started. There we go. Okay. Speak into this mic. President Minor, is that better? Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, President Minor, members of the commission. I have two items to report on, and uh, and then I will have additional comments under your item twelve later in the agenda. Uh, I wanted to let you know that the first set of rule changes that the commission has put forward for meet and confer have been. Uh, the meeting confer has been concluded. Um, we will be sending you an official memo um, for your meeting of uh, June 5th. Um, we conducted um, informational meetings with over 10 different labor organizations. Um, your staff participated in these meetings as well as MTA. We uh, got a lot of questions, a lot of interest. We were able to answer all of those. Uh, no union was able to identify uh, imp significant impacts to their membership. Uh, so we concluded these informational meetings and I'm here to advise the commission that your obligation uh, to meet and confer with labor organizations on the rule, the first packet of rule changes that you're considering uh, has been completed and we'll be notifying you officially of that um, again for your meeting on June 5th. The second matter that I wanted to report on is the 1820 and 1822 examinations. I've spoken about this previously. Um, these examinations are being conducted on an um, online, on demand, um, and they are continuously available to applicants. The um, uh, Rule will be the list will be um, ready for selection shortly. DHR is going to be working with all of the departments. We have over 120 vacancies uh, to conduct coordinated interviews and uh, selection procedures. Um, we're trying to make this a good experience for the applicants we've received over 800 plus applications for the 1820 classification. Um, I believe this is a great response to having uh, made the MQs such that it's available to um, either applicants with experience or applicants that have completed a four-year college degree. Uh, the pool is very diverse um, and we're pretty excited about the opportunities that presents similarly for the class 1822 
which again requires either a college degree and experience or a master's degree. It's the second level in the um, in the series. We work closely with SEIU um, to set up the basic conditions about how this would go forward, and we're excited. Um, I just want to let you know um, when looking at um, if we're successful, um, which I believe we will be, we've essentially had a 30-day process from opening of the application to list adoption, which can then be continuously fed by any new applicants that come along. Um, this is a reduction of almost three months um, in our standard processing time. Uh, so I think it both opens the opportunities for applicants and gives the city new opportunities to proceed with intentionality about our future workforce, and we're quite excited about it. I did want to let the commission know that for um, these selections, I will be setting aside some of the administrative procedures of de-identification. Um, those procedures do not mesh with the concept of an online on-demand continuous examination. Um, because the list itself is constantly in flux, um, making it essentially impossible for us to really use the DID in the way that we have in the past. So I will be reporting to the commission about this and how this works. Um, it does not require any rule change. These are simply administrative procedures of how we make the selections. I'm happy to answer any questions. And again, I'll have some more comments on your item 12. Great. Uh, thank you, Director Eisen. Commissioners, uh, any questions or comments for Director Eisen? Congratulations. That's really good. It sounds really good. It sounds uh, like a real positive step in the right direction mm -hmm. and uh, broadening the, uh, the minimum qualifications. First step in continuous testing is. I think uh, uh, DHR staff needs to really be very proud and very happy. I think we've made a substantial and permanent change that will be a benefit to everyone. Thank you, Commissioner Favetti. I'd like to ditto Commissioner Vice President Favetti's comments. Uh, excellent work. Looking forward to seeing the results. Congratulations to DHR for this big, uh, big step. Thank you. Additional comments, commissioners. Uh, we'll take uh, public comment if there is any public comment on Director Eisen's report. Steve Zeltzer, the United Front Committee for Labor Party. Uh, a question for the commissioners. Why wasn't there any question about what's happening at KLW with those employees? You're not interested whether or not they haven't had a, an exam for over 30 years? for these workers so we we are in fact very interested but under state laws and local laws if a matter is not on the agenda we cannot engage in dialogue and so that information came to us via public comment not on the agenda and we will take it under advisement and there will be future discussions about it well under state law you're able to ask questions of the executive director about testing that's part of your job so there's nothing in state law that prohibits you from asking the director a question about the tests at klw okay so so i mean I, I that's a question i have but i want to talk about the 
issue of the systemic racism in San Francisco and retaliation against city workers because it's ongoing and there are a whole number of complaints, trials going on, hearings going on of continued racist discrimination in San Francisco. And uh, it seems that even though there were hearings a couple of years ago where workers testified about these conditions, they continued to exist even here in this building in San Francisco. One of the issues of discrimination is an attack on civil service. Rule of the list and all these other guardrails that have been put in place in the city and county of San Francisco to protect workers. And those are being removed by this executive director and the city to allow actually more retaliation, more nepotism. This is a systemic problem and it has to be addressed. And frankly, the city is going in the direction of getting rid of civil service entirely for a large number of workers. And that is a problem. That's a systemic problem. And apparently uh, the executive director and the mayor are going ahead with this, regardless of the cost to the people of San Francisco and the workers who are being affected. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Any additional public comment? Hello, commissioners. My name is Jesse Stanton. I'm an eligibility worker with the Human Service Agency and also SEIU Local 10 to 1 shop steward. I'm commenting on, uh, on Director Eisen's report, and I just want to say that I'm really concerned about the announcement today that uh, we're going to proceed with suspending de-identification on these rule of the list recruitments. Um, de-identification uh, is, is uh, pretty important as, uh, you know, Thank you. So de-identification, uh, we feel, is a, is a crucial protection when a rule of the list type of, a, of recruitment is going on, and we feel like uh, the intentional move towards rule of the list um, was something that we were concerned about going along, uh, but now to hear that de-identification will be suspended during a rule of the list uh, uh, recruitment, that just is, raises a lot of concern for me. Anyway, thanks, commissioners, for your time. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment? Uh, Elizabeth, any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, we do have one caller, so I'll unmute the caller right now. Thank you. Caller, you're unmuted. Please state and spell your name clearly for the record. Thank you. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I spoke earlier today. I am a health worker for San Francisco Public Health for many years. I am a union delegate representing government employees. I am here today to remind you, Human Resources Director Carol Eisen, you are a liar. I ask you to repent today. The evil policy, no vaccine, no job, directly discriminated against Christians and Catholics. In 2020 and 2021, you, Carol Eisen, lied to the Christians and Catholics and other religions freedom seekers to complete the religion's exemption for COVID-19 vaccine. After 1,168 Christians and Catholics complete the COVID-19 religious form exemption, then you terminate them all. As of today, May 15, 2023, San Francisco still imposed no vaccine, no job for all city employment, which violate workers' constitutional rights. San Francisco's leaders, like Carol Eisen, 
willfully helping the globalists for their one world order government to enforce a bioweapon COVID-19 vaccine that has no benefit, useless for our city and our nation. As you all know, it takes about five to nine months to hire a new person. So today, I'm letting you know, Carol Eisen, you fire 1,168 unvaccinated Christians and Catholics government employees who love God, love Jesus, love life. The God, it's called the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Today, I'm asking you to end your vaccine mandate now. We call all the unvaccinated, terminated, police, firemen, muni drivers, health workers, and all unvaccinated, godly people, government employees, back to work. Thank you. And may God bless San Francisco leaders, and may God give a chance to the leaders to repent before judgment coming to them. If they refuse to come back to righteousness, come back to God, they will be judged. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And my name is Ellen Lee Zhao. I am for San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Uh, Elizabeth, any additional public comment? President Minor, no further public comment at this time. Okay, thank you. Um, Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item six, executive officer's report, merit system audit program for fiscal year 2022 through 23. Recommendation, accept the report. Commissioners, our senior human resources analyst, Lutz Morganti, uh, conducted uh, nine uh, randomly selected audits this year. This provides you a summary of what uh, the theme was for this year and the results of our audit. I do want to give uh, a brief introduction for those who are not familiar with the merit system audit that is conducted annually by commission staff. In its effort to ensure compliance of the civil service merit system, the commission delineates responsibilities and goals to the civil service commission department staff for the purposes of coordinating, conducting open dialogue and discussion on the merits of existing rules, policies, and procedures, make recommendations for change and where departmental staff, employee organizations, employees, applicants, and members of the public can obtain consistent fair and concise information on the merit system, the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission and the application of rules, policies and procedures. So uh, for this fiscal year, we focused on um, something new to the city and that had to do with the mayor's 48th supplement. And through the supplement, the mayor emergency declaration, which authorized the human resources director to temporarily modify civil service commission rules to establish a streamlined competitive examination process for employees who have served for at least one year in exempt status from charter section 10.104 category 18 for special projects and professional services. The human resources director and the mayor determined that immediate steps were needed to address COVID-19 related delays in the hiring process. Commissioners, just to give a review, um, the Department of Human Resources have told us how the 48th supplement has helped because there were so many vacancies in the city and we needed to fill positions right away. Services were being affected and we've been receiving um, 
practically reports at every meeting on how many positions have been filled, how the eligible lists have been established. One of the reasons that commission staff chose to focus the audit on this this year was because of the high number of uh, complaints and appeals that you have already heard and uh, resolved. And we wanted to provide really the public, meaning our employees, a better understanding of how the 48th supplement has worked, meaning that the Department of Human Resources had set up guidelines in advance to determine when departments may use, we call it the E2P list, uh, exempt to permanent. And so randomly, uh, there were nine different audits conducted. This ranged from the Board of Supervisors, Emergency Management, Department of Technology, Public Utilities Commission, and the Port. Um, except for one department, all departments uh, applied with the procedures that DHR had set up for departments ensuring that individuals not only the met the minimum qualifications of the classification, but if there were desirable qualifications, which many of these did have special conditions that explain clearly that when it was time to uh, notify all the reachable eligibles to see um, who met these conditions, it was it so happened that that's why these temporary exempt people were even hired in the first place. There was only one department where uh, minimum qualifications were not verified, documented. It was done by phone, so the department immediately addressed that right away and provided documentation during the audit to show indeed the individual met the minimum qualifications. Um, in reviewing all of the nine audits, we did see similar patterns and it gives us actually a better understanding that the people that were selected, even if there was a large number of eligibles on the eligible list, but it was due to special conditions and the specific type of knowledge. This is actually quite common in the technology classifications that we can see why departments may have had to hire exempt first because they were looking for specialized skills that are not always defined clearly when we conduct, for example, a class-based examination. Um, even when the departments went ahead to notify all reachable eligibles if they were interested in interviewing, we found that there's also a pattern that really uh, less than three have responded which is quite common only because again, it had to do with the specialized skills that were needed for these positions. But overall, it showed us that departments still uh, created a competitive selection process. They described in advance before even knowing who was on the eligible list, the type of skills they were looking for. And except for one department who did not remember to document uh, a phone verification, all the de departments were consistently showing either employment verification letters or verification of meeting the education requirement. So it has been consistent, but this was valuable for us because we can use this audit to explain to other employees who are unfamiliar with the 48th supplement that it is not necessarily Although it may be perceived to be a favorite candidate, the department had set up a trail showing how they determine what the qualifications were needed for the position. And in fact, go and taking it a step further and making sure 
to verify the minimum qualifications. And really, this is something that even the public may ask questions about. And as we become city employees, we always have, no matter any time during our employment with the city, we must always be prepared to show how we have met the minimum qualifications for the position we are in. Executive officer, thank you. Thank you for the summary and we definitely appreciate the work of our senior human resources analysts. Um, and uh, let's see, commissioners, questions, comments. Um, um, Vice President Favetti. Yes, I just wanted to thank you. So, uh, for me, it's uh, very important to see how this, uh, the, the audit, uh, uh, program is, is in my mind succeeding and your in your presentation you actually answered a number of the questions that I had um, uh, basically uh, really going back over the fact that there were special conditions and the reason for the, the lack of response um, I wanted to say I'm particularly appreciative of the thoroughness uh, of the report and also the educative value that it has for um, others in and particularly this subject matter. So thank you and I pass on my compliments for a job well done. Uh, thank you, Vice President Favetti. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Thank you. I just wanted to, I think this is somewhat duplicative of Commissioner Favetti, but in reading the report, I was struck by um, how helpful it must have been to the departments to have the audit uh, because you could reinforce what the civil service rules were, what was required, so that going forward it strengthens the ability of the department to um, comply. So I thought the report was very um, helpful and thorough. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Salveson. Any additional comments? Commissioners, if not, we'll take a, a motion and a second to accept the report. I move we accept the report. Second. We have a motion and a second to accept the Merit System Audit Program Report for 22-23. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President uh, we have one public commenter, Elizabeth, in the room. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, can everybody hear me okay? Yes, we can. Uh, good afternoon, uh, President Minor and Commissioners. Um, I'm Edward Deasis. Um, I am the Deputy Director of Administration and Finance for the Board of Supervisors. Um, first, I'd like to thank um, the Commission staff for the work on the program audit. Um, we were very, as a department, we were very happy to participate in the ETP program. It's a good program uh, that helped the city fill a lot of critical vacancies that resulted from the hiring freeze of the pandemic. And we're also very happy to work with um, the civil service um, analyst on this program audit, um, responding to her questions and also providing additional supporting documentation. Um, I would like to uh, reiterate um, that as a department, um, we pride ourselves in our work. We take the um, hiring policies of both the Civil Service Commission as well as civil service rules, as well as the hiring policies of DHR very, very seriously. And we pride ourselves in our work when we're conducting recruitments. Um, I'd also like to note that um, although the report suggests otherwise, we did comply with DHR hiring policies. 
um, specifically um, in 2017 for the um, position or to question the 1053, um, our HR analyst at the time who has since left the department, um, we believe conducted a phone verification um, in the way that I think it's probably done in most uh, several departments citywide. Um, so we followed those standards. And in addition, the other note um, in the um, report was regarding a performance evaluation um, for the 1053 recruitment. Uh, we did obtain the um, signed performance evaluation. So um, bear in mind, it's not me mentioned in the report, but this recruitment was conducted in March 2020, which was the height of the pandemic during shelter and pace, and also during the pandemic um, during quarantine, what is very difficult to um, obtain signed documents. At that time, we had to move forward with this critical um, hiring um, with the performance evaluation we had, and ultimately later on, we were able to obtain the signed uh, performance evaluation that we provided to the analyst. Um, so I'd just like to emphasize that the key point here is that the candidate we ended up hired, hiring met all minimum qualifications, and today he's performed exemplary, exceptionally well for the department. And we agree with that part of the report that says that the um, employee for the 1053 met the minimum qualifications. So thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come over and share your comments on the report. Uh, any additional public comment? President uh, Miner, we do have a caller on the line. Yes, please. Uh -huh. Caller, you're unmuted. Please state and spell your name clearly for the record. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I spoke earlier today. I was a health worker for San Francisco Public Health for many years. I am a union delegate representing government employees. San Francisco had about 850,000 residents, 37,000 government employees, plus nonprofit agencies, contractors, about 50,000 employees on city payroll. San Francisco had a budget almost 14 billion a year. Yes, we have so many homeless are suffering and dying on the streets. Many workers have no job because they are unvaccinated. For the last three years, we have more than 1,500 homeless die on the street each year. Now we learn 70% of the homeless budget goes to administration. That means the government leaders use the homeless numbers for their own gain. Last year, 2022, Mayor Landon Breed and Human Resources Director Carol Eisen and the employer labor relations leaders terminated more than 2,000 government employees because they're unvaccinated. Then they hire temporary workers and lower their standard for qualification for their job. 1,168 Christians and Catholics were fired from their job because they believe in God. As of May 15, 2023 today, San Francisco still imposed no vaccine, no job. They discriminated all unvaccinated workers. Whatever you are saying today in item six, you are doing a monkey show that has no benefit for San Francisco. For you to disqualify unvaccinated workers and you are in discrimination, in violation, and you have been warned 
COVID-19 vaccine is a bioweapon that is the globalist plan to kill as many as Americans they want by the one world order government has no benefit and useless for San Francisco. As you know, it takes a long time to hire a new person. And whatever you're talking in item number six, you are lying to the public. You are not telling the public the truth about a hiring process. There's a lot of people unqualified. Replace the qualified people since the pandemic. Today, I'm asking you to end your vaccine mandate now. And we call all unvaccinated, qualified people, include the police, the firemen, Muni drivers and health workers and all unvaccinated government workers, more than 2,000 of them coming back to work. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, we're ready for the roll call vote um, to accept the Merit System Audit Report for fiscal year 22-23. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And I vote aye. We have accepted the Merit System Audit Report for fiscal year 22-23. Executive Officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the ratification agenda. All matters on the ratification agenda are considered by the Civil Service Commission to be non-contested and will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless a request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the ratification agenda and considered as a separate item. Item 7, review of requests for approval of proposed personal services contracts, recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, approve the request for proposed personal services contracts, notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of Contract Administration. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, please let me know if there are any items that you would like to pull for individual discussion from the ratification agenda. Vice President Favetti. Uh, no questions. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Chan. None. Commissioner Crawley. Unbelievably, I have none. <laughs> Commissioner Salveson. None. Okay, and I have none. We are ready for a motion. Any second? Move to... adoption of the ratification agenda, Madam President. Thank okay. you. We have a motion and a second to approve the ratification agenda. If you have public comment on the ratification agenda, you may come to the podium if you're in the room or press star three now if you're on the telephone. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, the, uh, the roll call vote on approving the ratification agenda. Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Chan? Aye. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved the ratification agenda. Commissioners, thank you very much. All right. Um, Executive Officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the regular agenda, item eight, status report on airport personal service contract number 42606-1718. Recommendation, accept the report. Thank you. And who do we have with us from the airport? This is Cynthia Vakian. I think I unmuted myself properly. Cynthia Vakian, Director of Contracts at the airport. And with me is Daniel Lee to answer any questions regarding this agenda item. And would you, um, President um, 
Minor, do you want me to do a brief introduction? Uh, yes, I think that would be helpful for both of the agenda items. Okay, so for the first one, which is PSC 42606-1718, this is for our ground-based augmentation system. We call it GBAS. And this is a service that the airport has um, implemented for helping um, pilots land planes during um, low visibility conditions. So when we were at the commission back in 2018, we, this was conditionally approved with a report back to the commission in five years. And so this is our report back to the commission, the report that's been presented to you. We've implemented the system and now we're in support and maintenance. And Daniel Lee, sorry, Daniel Lee can answer any technical questions that you may have regarding the report. Okay, uh, thank you. Commissioners, any uh, questions for the airport on uh, the status report for 42606-1718? Uh, if not, we will take a motion and a second to accept the report. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second to accept the airport's uh, status report on PSC 42606-1718. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, a roll call vote to approve uh, the status report on 42606. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And I vote aye. We have accepted the airport's five-year report on uh, PSC 42606. Airport, thank you. Thank you very much for your update. Thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item 9, status report on airport personal service contract number 46630-1819. Recommendation, accept the report. President Minor, Cynthia Vakian, Director of Contracts at the Airport, and with me is Kathy Mark. This request, this is our report back after four years, and this is for the airport's property management billing system. We have um, transitioned the system from our airport business manager to a new system by the same company, but it's an improvement, airport business revenue manager. And so when we were at the commission in 2019, you asked for a report back on this particular item. And again, this is just an enhancement of a proprietary system. The airport is adapted for the items that are listed in the report. There are five different modules. And so now we have implemented the system and we're in support and maintenance. If you have questions for us regarding the service or anything about the report, we'd be happy to answer those questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments uh, for the airport on the status report for 
46630. I just have one question. Um, it's related to one of the concerns that Commissioner Hellfund had about uh, training. And there was training provided in this particular uh, contract. And has there been, um, how is that, is that going forward? And Kathy, can you answer that question for us? Thanks. Yes, um, the training has been completed and was successful as the users sort of learned sort of a, a new user interface. Okay, so that's all been conducted. Great, because that's that was one of the concerns. Thank you very much. Unless there are other questions, I would move to uh, accept the report. Second. We have a motion and a second to accept the report from the airport for PSC 46630. This is an update from the airport after four years. Uh, if you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioner Savrok, call vote to approve uh, the contract. I'm sorry, to approve the status report or accept the status report on the contract. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And I vote aye. We have accepted the airport's update report status report for 4663081819. Airport, thank you. Thank you very much for your work and for the update reports. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item 10, annual salary adjustment, fifth year of five-year cycle of salary of member board of supervisors in accordance with charter section 2.100 for fiscal year 2023 through 24 and annual salary adjustment second year of five-year cycle of salary for elected officials, mayor, city attorney, district attorney, public defender, assessor recorder, treasurer, and sheriff in accordance with charter section A8.409-1. Recommendation, approve the proposed salary adjustments for members of the Board of Supervisors and elected officials effective July 1, 2023 for fiscal year 2023 through 2024 and transmit your determination to the controller for consideration of the fiscal year 2023 through 2024 budget. Uh, thank you. Um, executive, who's gonna make the presentation? Okay, I'll deputy director. Thank you, President Miner. Um, this report also prepared by Luz Marganti, so I am uh, presenting in her absence today. Um, the Civil Service Commission has the authority to set the salary and the annual adjustment for the member of the Board of Supervisors and for elected officials. Um, for the Board of Supervisors salary setting, that is authorized by Charter Section 2.1. Um, Composition and salary directs that the Civil Service Commission shall, shall set the supervisor's salary once every five years. Um, just for some history and some background, at the meeting on May 20, 2019, the Commission approved 
the Board of Supervisors a salary increase of 12% effective July 1st, 2019. And in setting this base salary for the five-year um, cycle, also authorized um, the approval for the second and third years that the Board of Supervisors would receive a salary increase of 3.5% each July 1st, and the increase for the fourth and fifth years, which are the time frame we're in now, would continue to be based on the annual average CPIU, but not to exceed 5% in either year. Uh, with regards to the elected officials, that is authorized by Charter Section A8409, which states in part, the commission shall conduct a salary survey of the offices of chief executive officer, County Council, District Attorney, Public Defender, Assessor, Recorder, Treasurer, and Sheriff in the counties of Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, San Mateo, and Santa Clara. And then the commission shall set the average salaries, sales, um, then average the salaries for each of those offices and determine respectively the base five-year salary for the elected officials in San Francisco. Uh, the charter states that further in the second, third, and fourth, fifth years of the period, um, let's see, that uh, you can account for the upward annual movement in the consumer price index during the prior calendar year, provided that whenever the upward movement in the consumer price index during the prior calendar year exceeds 5%, the, um, that should be the max. So the annual cost of living adjustment shall take place effective July 1st of the second, third, fourth, and fifth calendar years. So just fast forwarding a little bit, the annual CPIU uh, for 2021, um, effective 2021, based on the previous year, is 4.9%. So in accordance with Charter Section 2.1 and Charter Section A8.409-1, the Commission may increase the salaries by 4.9%, effects effective July 1st, 2023 for the member of the Board of Supervisors and the elective officials effective this fiscal year 2023 to 2024. And then on the following page, there are um, the salary charts that give you the increase for the Board of Supervisors and the elected official based on the 4.9% CPIU and the recommendation you heard the executive offer, sir, um, share with you to approve the proposed salary adjustments for the members of the Board of Supervisors and the elected officials effective July 1st, 2023 for this, this, this coming fiscal year. Okay. Uh, thank you, D Deputy Director Holmes. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? Vice President Favetti. I was wondering, is this 4.9, uh, how, what is the general increase for the regular collective bargaining agreements for this year? Um, is there any conflict in that area? And please refresh my memory if there's any um, 
mechanism in, in the event that there is some conflict, is there a mechanism for the commission to address this for the elected official salaries? Okay. Uh, Director Eisen, can you update us on where we'll, on the increases for uh, non-elected employees? Uh, Commissioner Minor, members of the commission, uh, all of our so-called miscellaneous groups are under closed agreements, and we recently concluded negotiations with. Oh. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Police and fire uh, line staff and management unions um, in the next fiscal year um, that everybody in the city is going to receive a 4.75% wage increase cumulative. It's in 2 tranches 1 on July 1st and 1 on uh, January 1st and uh, in the 2nd and 3rd years. The miscellaneous contracts will still be will have to be renegotiated, but those rates are set for our uniformed uh, staff, our sworn staff, with the exception of deputy sheriffs that will be renegotiated next year. I hope that's responsive to the question. Yes, I apologize for the interruption. Yes, that's exactly what I was uh, requesting to have for as far as information. Um, thank you. Okay. Um, and then uh, that doesn't seem inconsistent with what's being recommended, not too inconsistent with what's being recommended for elected officials. Okay, let's see if there are any uh, additional questions or comments from commissioners. Okay, um, Vice President Favetti, do you have a follow up question about? The delta between the elected and the 4.75%? Well, um, it always concerns me when it's uh, there. I, I, I always look at, at making sure that what the elected officials are getting is consistent with what employees are getting, it's not unbalanced. And so, um, and I also, uh, if I recall correctly, we had an option to consider, um, but I may be mistaken. So I was, that's why I was asking to refresh my memory. Um, if indeed there was an imbalance, um, but the 4.75 and 4.9 does not appear to be a significant imbalance unless otherwise, or, or unless it would be more appropriate to have it consistent with the general negotiated agreements for employees and have it the same if we have that ability to do so. Okay. Is that a question directed to our city attorney? Oh, that sounds like a yes. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Kate Kimberlin, Deputy City Attorney. Good afternoon, Vice President Favetti. I'm, I want to make sure I understand your question. Um, are you asking whether or not the commission has the authority to recommend something different than what's in the report? Exactly. Okay. And, and making sure that it's not inconsistent with collective bargaining agreements. It's a memory refresher. Um, the matter is calendared for um, 
either accepting or you know, approving or disapproving the report and the recommendations therein. Um, so you certainly have the authority to reject the report and to ask that a new report be submitted with a different um, number in it. I don't think you could have the authority to change what's in the report because of the, the way that this was calendared. It doesn't suggest that there's a, going to be a consideration of the number beyond simply accepting or rejecting this particular report. Okay, and um, okay, so that, that, that answers my question. And um, the Thank you. director may want to, to provide clarification. Um, Sandra Ng, the executive officer, uh, Vice President Favetti, I only uh, want to remind the commissioners that um, commission staff has only made a recommendation, but the commission always had the ability to uh, deter from the recommendation. It just could not be more than 5%, but um, the commission has always taken to consideration what city employees were receiving, but there have been times when the commission has uh, had concerns about the fairness of compensation for our elected officials and do something completely different. It is up to the commissioners, but um, the report is only the coming, the recommendation is coming from the commission staff. Okay, executive officer, thank you. And deputy city attorney, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions? Otherwise, we'll take a motion in a second. Uh, Deputy City Attorney. Given the lack of a motion, I think I will clarify something further. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the commission could vote to either approve or disapprove of the proposed salary adjustment, but because there is a recommendation about transmitting your determination to the controller, I think you could make an oral motion as long as it's not more than the 5%, as Ms. Sang pointed out. You could say, for example, that you were moving to accept the report with the modification X, Y, Z, you know, however you see fit, mm -hmm. um, and then direct the um, direct staff to transmit that determination to the controller, as opposed to simply adopting the proposed salary adjustment. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, uh, a motion. Just a follow up question to the uh, human resources director. Again, it was, uh, just want to clarify. Overall, uh, raises for city employees is 4.75%. Correct. Uh, director Eisen. Uh, I apologize, uh, President yeah. Minor. One, uh, could you repeat yeah. the question? Yeah. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Oh, just can confirming you your question again. Oh, oh and just confirming. 
overall raises for city employees is uh, 4.75% for July 1. Correct. It's uh, uh, 2.75 on July 1st and 2.5 on January 1st, 2024. Okay. I would move to make a, the uh, recommendation be cons to, with a modification that it be consistent with the collective bargaining agreement uh, of 4.75. If we can do it so that it's, it's a, a, the same as, which would be uh, the, the one, one percentage on, on July 1 and the other percentage on uh, January 1, that would be okay too, but, um, but consistent with what the collective bargaining agreements will be. Um, uh, happening at the same time. That's what I would do. Commissioner Minor, I think I misspoke and I'm asking Claire McCabe from our staff to uh, give you the um, correct information. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, Claire McCaleb with the um, Employee Relations Division. It's 2.5% on July 1 and 2.25% on January. So if we can do the same for elected officials, that's how I would modify. I would move to modify the re, the uh, the report, if that would be acceptable to other commissioners. I would second that motion. I was, I was looking for the exact charter language. So, Deputy, the motion, our Deputy City Attorney, the motion is to align with uh, the raises for city employees um, by splitting uh, 2.5 and then 2.25. And uh, is is that permissible? Or does the raise have to be effective all July 1? If you can give me just a moment, I can take a look at the okay. charter provisions. Yeah. This was Deputy City Attorney Kate Kimberlin.
So unfortunately, it's a little bit split. <laughs> I think you could do it for the Board of Supervisors, but the provision of the charter relating to the elected officials uh, states that it shall be done annually mm -hmm. on July 1. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't suggest that there is a mechanism. Um, I could research it further, but on the spot, the plain language of the charter doesn't suggest um, that it could be split in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that said, you're still setting it effective this date, um, you know, for the, for the full period. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand from like, the executive director that in the past there's been, uh, that it has been done this way as long as there's a check-in in November, um, to revisit that, but, um, you know, just being put on the spot in terms of what the law is mm -hmm. here. I, I'm not as comfortable with that concept based on the language of section 88409-1. Okay. Then I would modify the motion to be that it'd be the 4.75 effective July 1. Okay. Thank you. And uh, executive officer has her hand raised. Commissioners, I also uh, want, so you're aware that we do have uh, representatives here to make public comment also. Um, I believe the vice president modified her motion. Is there a second before you want to accept public comment? Um, is there a second? I'll, I'll second that comment to get it on the floor. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yes, please. President Minor, members of the commission, Angela Calvillo, I am here today with the uh, Administrative Deputy Edward de Assis of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, I am grateful to Dr. de Assis for his preparation of this material uh, for, your uh, for your consideration. Uh, we first thank the commission and the staff for their complex analysis of the Board of Supervisors' salary. We'd like to share some pertinent information for you that we think um, is certainly information that you might want to consider. Um, we believe the next couple of slides will show that the elected members of the Board of Supervisors uh, continue to be undercompensated compared to counterparts in other departments and other relevant jurisdictions. Uh, compared to the City of Los Angeles, if you're looking at the first slide, um, San Francisco supervisors are paid salaries that are 70,000 less compared to LA council members. Compared to 10 California counties with budgets greater than 2 billion, the salary paid to San Francisco supervisors are near the bottom. And we are quickly trying to get the slide up so that members of the public and the commissioners can see what it is uh, are the comparable California cities and counties. Um, he will show that slide and then I will move on to slide two for the nine Bay Area counties. And so compared to the other nine Bay Area counties, San Francisco has the largest budget, which indicates San Francisco's government operations are the most, most complex. However, the base salary paid to San Francisco supervisors ranks in the middle compared to other counties. 
Moving on to slide three. Uh, historically, salary increases for the supervisors since fiscal year 2003-04 have lagged behind CPI, meaning that the supervisors have taken a pay cut due to inflation. If the supervisor's salary increases had kept up with inflation, supervisors' annual salaries today would be 181630 or 25000 more than the current annual salary of 156442 if I'm looking at slide four, elected official salary, compared to the end of the salary of elected officials, which are also determined by the Civil Service Commission, supervisors' salaries are paid the lowest. Moving on to the department head salary, compared to the salary of department heads, which are determined by labor agreements with the Municipal Executives Association, again, supervisor salaries are the lowest. And when we look at salary comparison of supervisors and legislative assistants, I have been before this body before. I don't need to repeat that the differential, you have uh, tried to compensate us for that. We're very appreciative. Um, but the uh, responsibility and workload of an elected official for the supervisor's annual salary, it's just 20,000 above a legislative aid. So I just have two quick other slides. The salary comparison to the Municipal Executives Association for MEA, for these for the job classes belonging to, uh, may, may I continue? Yes, finish? Thank you kindly. The labor union for city managers, MEA, we've increased our salaries by almost 75% since 2003 to 2024, in stark contrast to the supervisor's salary rate, which has only increased 39% in the same period. And finally, Board members serve the public under the expectation that there is a virtue in receiving lower salaries as public servants for the greater good for the city. Knowing that the city is not the private sector, board members have never requested nor fought for competitive salaries for themselves. Charter Section 2.100 states that the Civil Service Commission, as you all know, you will look to other full-time city councils and county boards uh, and take into consideration CPI. However, the Charter does not limit the civil service to these factors. Uh, we believe the information presented today may be relevant to your decision, and I would posit that looking at city councils and boards that are comparable in complexity in population uh, is also, uh, and budget, is another consideration for you. The highlight for the key point that I'd like to make today, that we recognize the tenuous economic outlook for the city. At present, our downturn does not lend itself towards parity today, but we wanted to come to you early in the five-year setting process so that you could hear about these other considerations and take into consideration at the beginning uh, what perhaps might be unbeknownst to you that the board member salaries are being kept artificially low. Uh, with or without parity, what you can count on is that the board members will continue to conduct their oversight. They will continue to look at the department's requested needs. They will continue to honor the municipal code's non-interference clause, which sometimes does have a significant impact on the board's reach into the inner workings of a city, but will continue to have the fruitful collaborations with the mayor's office and uh, in this case, balance and fairness, this is my last statement, could also mean that the member salary should reflect the complexities of this complex government, 
uh, obviously tempered, not during a downturn, but for advanced plannings, uh, your advanced planning in the out years. I am available for any questions and thank you for your consideration this matter. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation and additional information. Uh, Executive officer, are you, do you have additional comments? No. Okay. Um, any additional public comment? Uh, we have a motion and a second uh, to adjust salary at 4.75% aligned with the collective bargaining agreements for all other city employees. Any additional comments? President Minor? Yes. We do have a caller. So I'll unmute that caller now. Okay, thank you. Caller, please state and spell your name clearly for the record. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I spoke earlier today. I was a health worker for San Francisco Public Health for many years. I am a union delegate representing government employees. I have been living in San Francisco for the last 37 years. I ran for San Francisco mayor in 2018 and 2019 against failing policies. Your increased pay rate 4.5% for the public employee budget should have reflected San Francisco's safety and public health. Yet, we see more and more people are suffering on the street, dying on the street, drug dealers dominate many streets, failing policies fail to protect our public health. Crimes are out of control, many businesses closed and left San Francisco. Your large budget to pay workers has no benefit for public safety. All leaders should be evaluated by their job performance regarding their failing job performances and policy. San Francisco's hiring policy discriminated against unvaccinated workers. It is a violation against workers' constitutional rights. The management leaders lied about no discrimination practice allowed in San Francisco government. Yet, San Francisco human resources leaders refused to hire unvaccinated people to work, refused to grant religious exemption by law. San Francisco leaders, include, including Mayor Landon Breed, Human Resources Director, and Employer Labor Relations Director, directly discriminated against unvaccinated Christians, Catholics, and other religions believers. Today, I'm here to remind you, all of you, public workers, to work for the public, their people, to reduce crime, clean the street, house the homeless people, and end your discrimination hiring policies, to rehire back all those people, more than 2,000 unvaccinated workers, back to work. And I thank you for your time. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray and ask you for mercy. Have mercy for San Francisco Civil Commission staff and city leaders. Give them the courage to stand up for West right to protect all workers, unvaccinated and, and vaccinated. 
send angels to rescue San Francisco, empower public workers to speak the truth, stand up for justice and liberty for all people, vaccinated and unvaccinated Americans. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And thank you for your time. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Okay, commissioners, uh, we have in, we have before us uh, a motion to adjust the salary of members of the board of supervisors and elected officials effective July 1, 2023, by 4.75 percent. Uh, we're ready for the roll call vote. Vice President Favetti. Hi. And I wanted to make a comment that will be very important to consider what uh, Angelica Villa presented to us today for the setting the salaries of next year for the next five years. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Chan. I see no reason to reward collective failure. I vote no. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. And I vote aye. We have uh, voted by uh, a vote of four to one to uh, approve a salary adjustment of 4.75% effective July 1 for members of the Board of Supervisors and the elected officials. Uh, thank you. In the two tranches, right? Okay. Um, any additional questions? No, we're good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your report. Uh, we are ready to move to the next agenda item. Item 11, annual certification of benefits of elected officials, including members of the Board of Supervisors for fiscal year 2023 through 24 of the City and County of San Francisco in accordance with Charter Section A8.409-1, Recommendation, accept the report, certify the benefits of elected officials, including members of the Board of Supervisors for fiscal year 2023 through 2024, in accordance with Charter Section A8.409-1, at the same level of benefits as those provided to covered employees of the Municipal Executives Association in effect on July 1, 2023. Good afternoon, Commissioners Lovina Holmes again, Deputy Director. Um, just a brief report prepared by Bruce Marganti, our senior HR analyst. Um, this is the annual certification of benefits by the Civil Service Commission for elected officials, including the members of the Board of Supervisors. It is authorized under Charter Section A8.409-1, and it requires the Civil Service Commission to annually set the benefits of elected officials, officials to take effect July 1st of each fiscal year. So you have the uh, summary of benefits attached on the last page, and I just like to bring to your attention um, a typo under life insurance. So the city and county provides $150,000 in basic life insurance. So that amount of $50,000 was increased to $100,000 effective January. January 1st of 2021, and then subsequently to $150,000 effective January 1st of 
January 1st of 2022. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions um, on uh, the report? If not, we'll take a motion and a second to accept the report, thereby certifying the benefits for elected officials, including members of the Board of Supervisors for the 23-24 fiscal year. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second to accept the report and certify the benefits of elected officials, including members of the Board of Supervisors for the upcoming fiscal year. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to certify the benefits for the members of the Board of Supervisors and elected officials. Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Chan? No. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Savison? Aye. And I vote aye. By vote of four to one, we have uh, accepted the report, thereby certifying the benefits for elected officials um, for the 23-24 fiscal year in accordance at the same level as the benefits for the Municipal Executive Association in effect, July 1, 2023. Okay, thank you. We are ready for the next agenda item. Item 12, public discussion to inform the Civil Service Commission on civil service rules that may be impeding hiring for the city and potential rule changes to expedite hiring. Recommendation open for discussion. Okay. Uh, thank you. So the commission looks forward to this discussion um, as uh, members of the public and all stakeholders know expediting hiring is an important priority for the city right now and we look forward to hearing your comments uh, generally uh, the time period is three minutes but if i could have a show of hand as to how many uh, public comments we will hear in the room Okay, and Elizabeth, about how many public commenters do we have for agenda item 12 on the telephone? On the telephone, we only have one, and we also have one um, panelist that has her hand raised. Okay, thank you. Um, we are going to do two and a half minutes per speaker. Two and a half per speaker. Can we do two and a half? No. Okay, we're we're going to do three minutes per speaker. It's going to be a hard stop at three minutes, and so uh, we would we would greatly appreciate your time and your comments, such that at three minutes we can stop and move to the next person. Um, if you would uh, give us your name um, and spell your last name for the record. Uh, Executive officer, is there a clipboard there? 
There is a sign-in sheet for people to see that's obvious. Okay. It's going around. Oh, okay. We are ready for your comments. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. My name is Douglas Bias. I'm with San Francisco City Workers United. And I'm here to speak against these proposed rule changes. Um, a little history. Um, we, our bargaining was uh, cut off by the city. They refused to bargain with us over this issue once we raised concerns over its constitutionality. And ever since that happened, uh, there's been illegal interference into union uh, issues, internal in union issues that have been uh, plaguing the union and the membership since. And um, so that's some of the stuff that's involved with this. It's very important. We haven't heard other unions speaking out against this. We don't know why. You know, this is an attack. We see this as an attack on the, the merit system. Um, lowering qualifications, rule the list, handpicking uh, workers. Um, it just it doesn't seem like the right way to deal with uh, a backlog in hiring that's caused allegedly by COVID-19. But I haven't seen, we haven't seen any other cities of this magnitude not hire and have these same problems um, that we know of. Um, and so it comes down to, it seems like somebody can't do their job right in the city. And I think that somebody's Carol Eisen. Uh, for some reason, San Francisco can't find a way to hire people without taking away job protections. Why is that? That's a failure. And so um, I'm here to speak out against it. Uh, we have uh, received civil service notices listing another officer as representative of the union, which is totally incorrect. We filed a perb charge against these internal attacks that the city has uh, placed on our union. And um, so, I mean, <laughs> uh, like the, the uh, previous uh, telephone phoner said, uh, you know, if this is true, this is not true. And Carol Einstein is a liar stating that she has completed the meet and confer process with this union. She has not. And this isn't over until this is resolved at some point with the state, if not sooner. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your comments. My name's Chris Dickinson. I work at SFO Paint Shop. Spelling my last name is D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. I'd like to yield my speaking time to our attorney at SFCWU. Thank you. My name's uh, Rudy Baldrama, um, R-U-D-Y-B-A-L-D-E-R-A-M-A, uh, and I'm counsel for uh, San Francisco uh, City Workers United, uh, also known as the Painters Union. Um, I was brought into their employ when uh, they were informed that they would not be uh, recognized as a union despite their status as the exclusive uh, representative of their members. 
the city did not give any justification for refusing the bargain, and we've provided you uh, information regarding our perb charge, which is our exclusive means of challenging uh, the illegal issue of the refusal to bargain. This does not help us because, as the city uh, well knows, PERB takes months, possibly years, to resolve cases. And in this case, there's a race uh, to beat the clock. And I wanted to let you know that the city specifically terminated all uh, and disqualified all union members and representatives on, after our first meeting on August 12th to discuss this uh, issue of the uh, exempt of permanent hires. That was the, the only issue that we had communicated with the city. And the moment we expressed an objection to the constitutionality of the ordinance, that, was, that resulted in the end of our uh, functions as a union. Uh, I've just been informed that there's now, on May 3rd, a order terminating all emergency orders, including the 48th supplemental order. Now, I don't know if that issue should preclude the city from continuing to uh, enforce an ordinance that does not exist and has no power. To do so is to act uh, in you know, furtherance of lawlessness and has had the effect in our minds of def you know, denying our union its rights and collectively all city uh, members and workers their rights. Uh, we depend on the Civil Service Commission to observe all ordinances and laws and to know when those laws have been repealed. So that's, thank you. Okay, uh, thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Gilbert Fragoso, uh, employee of uh, MTA for 31 years. I'm the president of uh, San Francisco City Workers United. Um, I'd like to yield my time to our attorney, Rudy Valdearmo. Thank you. Okay. So, <clears throat> as I was saying, we've been informed recently, as of two days ago, that all orders all emergency orders in place have been terminated. I don't know how long the city has known this information, but it, would, it somewhat surprises me that that has not been communicated to uh, our constituency. Our members have been informed specifically that there's merely a single union that is- We've heard no other union Yeah, do, do we got informed that there was one, only one union that had to sign on or what? Well, we don't know. Okay, no, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, we haven't gotten any information regarding the status of the meet and confers. We don't know anything aside from the sparse comments made um, regarding SEIU, IPTI, and I think LIUNA. I think there's only been three unions specifically that have been mentioned as having engaged in a meet confer or meet consult. Um, our union has been named as the city unions who are entitled to a meet and consult in meet and confer, but 
that has not occurred. There's been no communication and we remained excluded from the proof of service on all civil service commission papers. Um, you'll note that they have James Leonard, James Leonard listed. He is the former president, not the current president. There's been a uh, collusion in regards to an election that occurred on January 18th. And that's being brought before PERB in a variety of other issues that are far worse than the initial refusal to bargain. I think these are important issues that should be considered. Okay. Um, are there any additional public comment? President Minor? Yes. Um, I would like, uh, there are a number of uh, HR directors in the room and I'd like to have an opportunity to speak prior to their comments. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Um, are there any additional public comment from the San Francisco Employees United? Let's, I'm just trying to group all of you together. Hi, I'm Ray Sanchez, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z. I work at SFO Paint Shop. I would like to donate my time to Rudy. Um, I wanted to give uh, the commission some additional information regarding the status of what is going on and expenditure of the union's limited funds in the legal defense and um, protection of its representational functions. There is no greater uh, importance for the union than its representational functions. If you take that away, the union ceases to exist and ceases to have a purpose. This has gone on. For from August 26th of 2022 to the present and remains the state of affairs, according to the city and its attorneys, and without a single legitimate legal defense. There's no illegitimate legal defense stated in their papers. This is merely um, something you would see in a third world country. This is something that you would see where there's only the appearance of law and order as opposed to true law and order. I think that um, as an attorney, I have been in front of many, uh, you know, difficult and challenging situations. This is possibly the most frustrating case I've ever had to deal with because it is so clear that the city has done wrong. It's so clear that the remedies should exist, yet the unions are forced to accept a less than ideal situation by having to be forced to wait years, months to see justice. And what is the remedy we'll get at best in order to return to the status quo? Hopefully. But throughout this entire process, the Civil Service Commission has been informed on at least two occasions that there is a significant problem going on with, the, with our union and that should have triggered some type of mechanism to look into the other unions and what status of negotiations or if there were any negotiations ongoing. I think uh, proof that the, uh, that the city had been depriving one union of its rights should have applied and created a presumption of at least some need for investigation as to all. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. 
Any additional public comment from San Francisco Employees United? Okay. Um, again, we're on agenda item number 12. If you have public comment or information you'd like to share, uh, Director Eisen has indicated that she will address us before some of the other uh, human resources directors. Director Eisen. Uh, I, I don't want to interrupt, but you do have somebody who has raised their hand for quite some time. Um, Mr. Bush, Anthony Bush. Uh, this is showing up in my computer to showing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I believe they said that they were going to take in person comments first and then the panelists would be able to come on afterwards. So just yeah. following that order. Yeah. No worries. Okay. All right. I, I, I do see his hand. Oh, I'm sorry. Please. I apologize. Uh -huh. No problem. Uh, Director Eisen. Uh, thank you, President Minor, members of the commission. I just uh, got knocked off citrus somehow. I think I did it to myself. Hence, standing here at the podium talking with you. Uh, first, I just want to thank the commission and President Minor for requesting this hearing and providing um, all of us to hear diverse perspectives from all the stakeholders in any uh, civil service rule reform that you may undertake. Um, as you know, we tackled a first set of rules, but I believe we have a long way to go. Um, the civil service rules as they are current con currently constituted are complex, uh, they're layered, they're very difficult to administer. They are self-referencing um, in the sense that it says, except if you see it somewhere else in the rules, this is what applies. It just, it's a, a complexity of the rules translates into difficulties to understand um, how to apply them. And I think it contributes directly to our slow application process. I think these rules and the processes that are associated with them are generally out of step with our current labor market. Um, it makes us uh, difficult for us to hire and hire efficiently. Uh, there are a number of, I believe that the commission needs to really take close look at these rules and do so by section. Um, we have attempted in our staff purely as an exercise to engage in redlining. I don't think that is the appropriate approach. I think we need to go back to what the, uh, to the origins and what the intentions of the rule are and to see whether or not we can redraft them even without uh, any substantive change so that they are easy to understand for the people who are charged with administering them and for the applicants um, to our position so that there can be greater transparency. Um, so I think we really do need to go back to our core principles and take a clear look at how technological advances and the realities of our labor markets today, um, how we can reduce their complexity and increase transparency. Um, our staff stands ready to work with this commission. I think it's critical and important work. Um, it's needed in order for us to do the job of rebuilding um, our workforce and for identifying, hiring, and training and advancing our future workforce. Um, and I believe that this is the time to do it is now. Really appreciate the commission's interest. Um, we will continue to work closely with you. Um, and. Uh, I'm going to be followed now by um, several human resources directors from large city departments. Uh, we met earlier last week um, to consider this hearing and 
once you've uh, taken all the comments, I'm going to urge the commission to continue the hearing um, at the call of the chair so that you may continue to hear from us and from everybody as these, um, as you begin uh, to embark on um, rule changes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, good afternoon, commissioners, President Minor, and honorable commissioners. Um, hello again. Um, thank you so much. My name is Luana Kim. I head up the HR department for the Department of Public Health. Um, thank you so much for calling this meeting. It's a really important, exciting, and much needed topic, and we're really looking forward to listening to the public comments because we all have found that when we hear diverse voices um, coming together from different perspectives, that's when we make impactful change. So we, we are very much appreciative of you having this, this discussion. Um, thank you also, especially for recognizing the need for making major change. As one of my former uh, colleagues with whom I have a lot of respect for talked about hiring in a day. How can we find a way to have somebody apply in the morning and be hired in a day? Um, and we look for that kind of aspirational change um, from all of us. And as you know, as I spoke just a few weeks ago, this is particularly acute in the Department of Public Health. Um, we have to find a way to recruit, hire, and retain healthcare staff that is competitive with other healthcare organizations. Um, at the Department of Public Health, and I know my colleagues uh, do as well in their departments, we meet regularly with our union partners and with DHR to constantly find ways to improve the way in which we hire. I'm really honored to be a part of the group of HR leaders who are here today and throughout the city. Um, we meet regularly to talk about how we can um, how we can make change as well and how we can learn from one another. Um, and we are all a deeply committed group of individuals committed to that. Um, as I said, we did appear before you six weeks, so I won't go into a lot of detail. Um, uh, since then, we've been meeting with the nurses and with other healthcare professionals. And so we really look forward to providing you with more information in the fall. Um, Commissioner Minor, we have not yet met that timeline, but I'm committed to trying and appearing before you in the fall um, with a lot of great news about our impact. And we, uh, we do look forward to coming to you with concrete improvements. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing on our behalf. Thank you, Director Kim. Good afternoon, President Minor, Civil Service Commissioners. My name is Svetlana Vaxberg, V-A-K-S-B as in boy, E-R-G, and I am the Human Resources Director with the Office of the City Administrator. Thank you very much for this opportunity for us to share um, our feedback about the civil service rules that um, create many challenges in hiring for the city. Um, when we've discussed our city's civil service rules, the analogy that I have used in many conversations that I wanted to share with you, which is as follows. Um, we have a century old, beautiful Victorian that's old. And I ask, is it better? Is it more efficient? Will it save us money and time if we knock down the old house? Or is it better to rebuild the roof first the drywall, the windows, and paint it next month. It seems to me that now is a good time for us to build from the ground up like that Victorian and really asks ourselves, what is relevant? What is gonna create efficiency, diversity, and meet the needs of our workforce so they can deliver 
really important services to San Franciscans. So that's the recommendation we have today. We'd be happy to work about the specific rules, but I think it is an exciting time to really ask, can we do better and build a better hiring process in the 21st century? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for that challenge. Good afternoon, President Minor and Commissioners. My name is Katrina Williams, last name Tom and Spelling, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, and I'm the HR Director for San Francisco Human Services Agency. Based on just some brief anecdotal feedback from some of our new hires and candidates, we've learned as if, as if we didn't know, that the hiring process is viewed as complex and very confusing. The time from application to hire creates uncertainty for some of our clients, and in our current labor market, many candidates can be hired on the spot. Candidates share that they don't know if they should wait for the city or should they pursue other options. This not only impacts our ability to hire top candidates, but it impacts our ability to hire top candidates from diverse pools. Expedited hiring has definitely eased some of the tension, but we're not as flexible as we could be. With our current, our current vacancy rate, my hope is that we figure out a way to not only expedite hiring, but expedite hiring while, protect, while protecting diversity. As an HR director in, in an environment where our, our mission is to serve underrepresented San Franciscans, we really want to be able to have a workforce that meets the needs of the workforce, meets the needs of the community, but also a workforce that is visible to the community in a way that the community knows they can come to us as a resource. Thank you so much for your time and I look forward to working with you. Thank you, Director Williams. Good afternoon, uh, President Minor, members of the Commission. My name is Wendy Macy, M-A-C-Y, and I'm the Chief People Officer with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Um, I'd like to echo uh, the comments of Director Eisen and many of our HR colleagues that we have been experiencing hiring challenges, um, which are exacerbated by our facilities operations in eight counties, and we have many technical specialized classifications. Um, with the hiring challenges, we find that there are inherent complexities in the civil service rules, which are very complicated and difficult to administer. Um, what results is that our analysts are working very hard to be in compliant with the rules, which is very, very important, but they're unable to spend as much time as they would like on outreach and other important uh, efforts to increase our pipelines. Similarly, because the language of the rules is inherently complicated and difficult to understand, um, it is less welcoming sometimes to the candidates that we are trying to attract and retain. So with that being said, um, we would support any efforts to improve uh, access, create more opportunities, and create promotional pathways through looking at the civil service rules, and we would be more than happy to participate um, in any group set forth by this commission so that we can hear from all stakeholders to adhere to the fairness in the rules, but again, reduce the um, administrative complexity. So thank you very much for taking this effort and appreciate um, your hearing our comments. Thank you so much. Thank you, Director Macy. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Karen Hill. HR Director for San Francisco Public Works. 
Um, I echo and agree with all of my colleagues, um, as well as um, Director Eisen regarding the uh, rule changes and the need for rule changes in order to speed up hiring. Um, as we know, during the pandemic, we did, you know, a great job in expediting hiring. Um, and I look at our process as being um, reactionary to um, emergencies, but I feel like we have, that was a great opportunity for us to look at the way we did business during a pandemic um, by um, looking at, re actually um, uh, looking at the rule changes that was in place that was creating barriers, allowing, um, preventing us from expediting our hiring, but some of those barriers that was removed um, during the emergency declaration was an opportunity for the city to look at that as standard way of doing business. Um, it allowed us to um, quickly hire. Um, it allowed us to compete with our competitors and getting people in the door um, to respond to an emergency. And some of those ways we um, did that was looking at the, the rule changes um, during the, um, the rule changes that created barriers during the pandemic. And I think that's a great opportunity for us to look at um, implementing that as way of doing business for city and county of San Francisco um, and allowing us to compete with our um, competitors. And as one of the directors says, um, Director um, Kim mentioned how we can hire in a day. And I think we've made, um, we was able to see how we was able to hire quickly, um, may not have been in a day, but close to a day, especially at Department of Public Health during a pandemic. And I think we can do that as citywide, um, citywide for all our city departments as a standard way of doing business by revisiting these um, rule changes and making every effort to make changes um, with these rule changes as we continue to um, improve, not only improve the way we're hiring, but reduce the time it takes to hire. Thank you. Uh, Director Hill, a question. Yes. Um, you are specifically referencing changes that were made during the pandemic to uh, accelerate expedite hiring and, and, and that those changes have been removed. And so we're back to kind of pre pandemic status quo. What's, can you be a little bit more specific about what particular can't pandemic related changes were made that you believe were important in your ability to expedite hiring? Yes, yeah, so um, specific examples as we were able to um, do direct hiring. Um, you know, it, it did allow, um, remove some of the um, exam processes, allowed us to post still um, permanent announcements, was able to um, still post permanent announcements, allow our applicants to apply, still go through the vetting, you know, qualifying process, but it allowed managers to get the hiring managers to get their applicant pools much quicker and make selections um, without going through, um, you know, some of this, um, the civil service exams that were slowing down some of our um, processes. Um, so that was um, one way of um, speeding up, you know, the, the process as well. Some of the rule changes um, that we were, that's been implemented Thus far was the conviction history um, program um, as well, not a, um, allowing con uh, the um, existing employees um, that are already employees not to have to go through um, 
the uh, conviction history uh, fingerprinting um, process. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> all right, Anna can elaborate on some of those changes um, as well. Wanna? Yes. Good afternoon, commissioners. Anna Biaspis, Employment Services Director for Department of Human Resources. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, there were uh, various. Um, Supplements from the mayor's declaration that expedited hiring, which was the third supplement, the 37th supplement, tenderloin supplement, and the 48th supplement that um, um, the executive officer just reported on. Um, what when we received those supplements, we um, went ahead and instructed departments, um, you know, how to conduct a fair process, but yet expedite hiring. So, for example, um, departments were able to post announcements um, of the examination process, but because for the immediate need to hire, they were they were able to just quickly interview candidates uh, based on some sort of um, fairness, whether it's, you know, they have an immediate hire and these 10 people applied in the first three days, so they interviewed everybody in the first three days, or, you know, if um, let's say they waited for the applicant pool to um, um, be completed and the announcement closed, they were able to use a selection criteria. But in other words, they didn't, we weren't required to um, not move um, until the 10 day, um, a 10 business day requirement was completed uh, for posting. They can proceed with the exam process at a later date because of the marriage supplement. And again, just to, uh, they were able to move forward as long as they can demonstrate they conducted a merit-based process that was fair. And I believe based on the executive officer's report today, it showed that at least with the 48th supplement, it, we did demonstrate that um, even though there was a um, expedited hiring process that we demonstrated fairness and um, in, um, filling the vacancies. So those were the kind of things that were expedited. Right. Thank through you. The chair, through the chair, could I ask for some more detail on that actually? Because if we were thinking and considering, I mean, I appreciate the comments we've heard so far, but this is really the first time we've heard some meat. That's something that's um, of real, uh, and I would like to know, number one, were these department only exam types of things? Did there, was it an exempt process? So it would be the E2P, um, and um, also was there medical exams and was there, a, if they were current employees, I understand there was no conviction history, but then where if they were from outside the system, was there the conviction history? Okay. Just, just to, to give us a framework on what we need to do, what kind of work we need to really focus on. Okay. I mean, I, I don't want to get far off the topic, but basically, um, with You're, exception, I believe that this is the topic. Okay, well, uh, basically they were um, either CBTs or PBT exams. They um, It depended based on the vacancies across the city. So if it was like a uh, normally a PBT classification, they would still conduct a PBT for their department. If it was like a... Um, 
a class-based exam, like let's say truck driver, then one department would um, conduct the recruitment review and then share the applications uh, or access to the applications with other departments. So when they had immediate hires, they were able to um, using, you know, again, a merit-based criteria, be able to dip into the pool. Um, what we did for um, hires where uh, they were immediately interviewed based on the department's needs. With regard to conviction history, we used the uh, expedited clearance process where they were uh, candidates are able to disclose or self-disclose um, their convictions and um, and we would give them clearance uh, prior to DOJ records coming back, given that, and you know, obviously it goes on. If uh, if they cleared, then there's no problem. If there was some sort of discrepancy, we would meet with the employee and the departments regarding those records. Mm -hmm. So we were able to um, design a process that, uh, that were equal uh, citywide, whether it was the PBT or CBT. Um, one example is I worked with Karen Hill when when she was first uh, when COVID first hit and they needed a ton of porters and they had no eligible list, but they had so many vacancies. Karen's team was able to post the announcement. She quickly received a bunch of applications and, you know, after like the first three days, she was able to dip into the pool and say, all of you applied first and met the minimum qualifications. So you guys are moving forward first with interviews and then just kept dipping into the pool after that. So, uh, so there were uh, immediate hires made. Um, I know DPH has held um, RN um, events where, you know, you're on the eligible list and basically you were, you were called into um, DPH to do interviews and medical and um, fingerprinting at the same time. So, I mean, we, we were able to do all of that because of the, um, the mayor's supplement to the emergency declaration, the four different ones. And just to clarify, when they were hired, they were permanent, provisional, or exempt? Permanent. PCS. Okay, great. Good. Yes. Okay. Afternoon, Commissioners. William Miles, M-I-L-E-S II, SFMCA Talent Acquisition Senior Manager. Um, to start off with, I just want to mention for all of us that, you know, our HR teams are working extremely difficult jobs these days. Um, SFMTA in particular hired over a thousand appointments last year. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, was not seen very much is the attrition that goes along with that. So we lose about 250 transit operators every single year. So in order to make an increase, we need to hire more than that every single year. Um, that doesn't mean that they're all resigning or retiring, but also getting promotional opportunities. So when we see like one recruitment finalizes, another recruitment needs to start, if that was through a promotional opportunity, which created another vacancy underneath it. 
Uh, so I do want to state a little bit of uh, information about like the challenges that we're all experiencing. Uh, MTSO has over 230 different classifications, which means that we have a lot of different recruitments, a lot of different examinations we need to conduct on a yearly basis. Um, but regarding efficiencies, there were three different categories that we did want to bring to the commission's attention, not necessarily that, you know, we have the right answer or that there is a right or wrong way of the rules being as they're applied today and the policies and procedures, but just to open the discussion on the topics. Um, Carol Eisen did mention earlier the intent of the rules. Uh, there's one rule in particular that maybe it's an MTA issue mostly, but non-contemporaneous documentation is a very big challenge for us. Um, I do understand the intent of the rule when that was created was to give the opportunity for individuals when their supervisor or manager did not document the work that they were performing to give them the avenue to bring that forward to qualify for an examination. However, that's not how it's being used in mostly in today's world. Uh, instead, it seems that we have a candidate that gets rejected for an examination process and we ask their supervisor or manager to write them a letter stating that they are doing job duties that are outside of their classification. Then we end up having to do a very lengthy audit and review of that process and at the end of the day most of the time find out they were not performing those types of job duties or there's nothing to back them up. Um, because of that one of our examinations was delayed an entire two years. Other ones have had appeals that have come before this commission. Um, for those appeals at least to date for speaking MTA wise uh, they have all been essentially ruled in the favor of the department that there was not anything backing up the fact that the candidate was performing those out of, out of the job duties. Um, therefore, that's one we like to look into. Um, another one is certification rule applicability and seniority regarding certification rule. Um, we do see that a lot of times somebody is reachable one day and not reachable another day. So is it possible to apply certification, sorry, certification rules based on number of positions connected to an eligible list over its duration and not at a point in time? Um, the third thing I like to say is just verification requirements. That's so very difficult for our candidates and HR individuals alike. Thank you very much. Um, can we have Manager Miles come back? Senior Manager Miles, <laughs> thank you for your comments. Can you say more about the challenges with verification? Yes, so a lot of employers um, these days don't actually give verification in the way that we require it as a city. Um, so they don't, we ask it to be on letterheads, be signed by the employer to give mm -hmm. the job duties, give the dates of employment, all that type of information. Um, a lot of employers now just use the work number. So all that requires, if we can even get it, is what their job title was, how long they were with the employer, but none of those specific job duties we're really looking for. Um, so on that notion, it takes a lot of back and forth of us going with the candidate to see can they get us anything else uh, to validate the fact that they have the verification requirements uh, or is there another employer that they can use? Can they tell us and prove to us that the, they're out of work or can they give us like which person that they try reaching out to to get the verification and we give them a waiver request because they couldn't get it in the way that we asked we asked for. Um, so there's just a lot of that that ends up being, you know, can we fully substantiate the five years required instead of just the three they're able to get verification for when they have other employers on our application. 
Um, so I do definitely see the benefit of verification for a candidate, let's say that you know, their application did not clearly show that they met the minimum qualifications. Let's give them that avenue to give us verification to prove this wasn't clear, so therefore give us something else. Um, but is it possible for us to look into the fact that the application is by itself a self-certification document is saying that I have this experience um, and can we use that instead of having to go through this, get the verification from the employer process that we currently use today? Thank you for that additional comment. So, could, through the chair, oh, could I ask an I'm sorry. Um, I, I really wanted to go back to the uh, non-contemporaneous work assignment because we have struggled through that for so many years. Do you have any suggestions on how to streamline that? Just in just in concept form. I'm not asking for a lot of details, but you know, it's 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 such a um, we work so hard to see as as fair as possible for both employees and for the department. Um, and I understood from the departments, this is what they wanted. So I really would like to know how that's how if there's another suggestion. Yeah, and how that could be. As I've mentioned, you know, I don't have the right solution here today necessarily. It would take a lot of discussions probably between us and the commission and our, you know, stakeholders figure out what it might be. Um, but one of the things we see a lot is, you know, it's just a letter that's provided to us with no backing behind it. Um, so from the standpoint of the intent of the rule, I almost would almost feel like, you know, the employee should be writing as either the performance appraisal or their job description, whatever actually states that they were responsible for doing this work. Or mm -hmm. they give us something that, you know, shows that they were doing it, emails from their supervisor or manager that said you're assigned to do this. Um, something as far as like logs that showed that they were required and they signed off on certain parts of their work. Um, but getting the letters from the supervisor just seems to be a reaction to a rejection letter instead of actually being factual in like what the person is performing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't have a great answer today, but that's essentially my thoughts on it at this time. And going back to self-certification, we have done that in the past and there were some problems. How would you, I just, not necessarily today, but what we need to think about is how do we avoid the pitfalls that we've had in the past on self-certification? Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar when we used to do that. I'm sure I'm not familiar with all the pitfalls now. Oh, no, 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 what, no what, as I say, you know, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we used to use self-certification a lot to speed up the process. Yeah. And some of the issues that came up were, and so there was a, a general move to move into a more, more formalized kind of process. Yep, I think, um, you know, we get a decent amount of that now because we can't get all the verification, but at least try to document like what attempts were made to get the verification. Um, but at the end of the day, it's part of the process that delays the hiring at the end. We already have a final list. We already have a person to consider, um, but this is one of the pieces of the pre-employment process that ends up delaying is putting that person in the seat. So, you know, just a discussion topic for the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and through the, the other commission, all commissioners, thank you for allowing me to ask the additional questions. Okay. Uh, Director Bias. Thank you, commission. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna make a general statement. Um, for the last 
24 years. I've been with the city and county of San Francisco in human resources. My career has spanned, you know, from operations to exams to 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 labor relations, et cetera, all all processes hired by uh, governed by the civil service rules. I just want to say I personally think that I'm very proficient with the civil service rules and truly believe in the merit system. Um, however, I do agree with uh, Director Eisen and some of the colleagues that um, some of the rules are uh, quite confusing. In fact, you know, you hear me before you when there is an appeal on examination matters or certifications, and I'm able to quote those rules. The other day, um, I went to the civil service rules to to read the section on leaves, which I normally don't handle. And at at least four sections of it, it said denials um, is per, um, as provided somewhere else in these rules. And I'm going where, <laughs> where? And so I'm I'm I constantly go into a circle as I'm reading the rules just to make sure that I am not missing something else. There's also like a lot of rules in there that um, are. Um, don't need to be there anymore. For example, there's a whole section on redevelopment agency where the layoffs happened over 10 years ago. And it's still fully outlined in the rules, et cetera. Um, some of the timeframes that uh, we recently corrected, um, if you've noticed that some of those time frames were confusing too, because one is two days, some were three days, some were five days or seven days. But we, through the recent rule changes, we made them all consistent to read three. But that's just, you know, some example of the rules um, that I wanted to point out. And like um, Direct, uh, Director Eisen says, you know, we, we plan to, um, continue this or have asked that you continue this so we can actually get to the specifics. But I just wanted to say even um, I that with a career of 24 plus years in human resources for the city and county of San Francisco, find myself going in a bit of a circle if it's a rule that I am, I guess, not that familiar with. And, you know, just to let you guys know every time I go to the commission, I do pay attention to what appeal is coming up and I actually researched the rule before I come here. That's why I'm able to advise you that day. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you very much. It's very clear that you're one of the people in the city most proficient in these roles. So thank you. Additional public comment. Good afternoon, Commission. My name is Naj Daniels. I am a field representative with SEIU 1021. I wanted to say that SEIU has met and discussed with ERD and civil service staff. We shared our suggestions to be considered and hope that it was a productive conversation. While this is the city's attempt to address the hiring process as it relates to a staffing crisis, crisis in every department, 
DHR missed an opportunity to look at better forecasting or internal processes to minimizing the time it takes for a department to get approval to fill a position. As we have done in all of our meetings, we urge both DHR and this commission to be vigilant about the criteria outlined when applying these new revisions and to listen to labor unions if we bring impacts that show up after implementation. And overall, education is key to making this work. As a union representative, I'm shocked at how many employee matters come forward where myself and HR staff both are looking to this office for guidance. Finally, I urge the commission to hold to the standards of the merit system and its rules. While we have become a culture of instant gratification, this system is in place to ensure fair and equitable treatment within a city that is still working towards that goal. But honestly, I must say, I do not remember a mayoral supplemental order that allowed for PCS hiring without testing. It would be nice for this body to add that item to a future agenda for discussion and report back on how successful that was. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ms. Daniels. Douglas Bias again, San Francisco City Workers United. I just want to conclude, you know, it sounds like, yeah, we have a problem with hiring. The rules are complicated. That's, that's a common theme that's gone on all night here afternoon, whatever it is. The problem is it, what's being proposed, if, if you can do, make the changes that you want to make without destroying civil service protections, you know, we're talking, you're talking about proposing, uh, uh, if I got this right, uh, hiring permanent exempt positions instead of permanent civil service positions to fill positions. They've done that in our bargaining unit. And, um, I don't think that's right. Uh, you, whatever you, you come up with, if it's something that's fair, truly fair, and doesn't take away the protections that are in place now, great, do it. But I haven't heard that, any, any talk of that. So that's my closing comment. Okay. Thank you for your additional comment. Uh, Manager DeWolf, you've been over there, please. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, Scott DeWolf, Department of Public Health, Merit Systems Division. Um, I've commented on, you know, these discussions uh, a couple times, and you know, don't have a whole lot more to add um, than a lot of the folks who've already spoke before me. But you know, I was just thinking, uh, listening, you know, contemplating, you know, what we're talking about here, and kind of my background, which. You know, I went to I went to school for industrial psychology, um, you know, which is really the field targeted at assessments, targeted at the work that's supported by a civil service commission, which is to have a fair and open process, competitive process, right? Uh, with all the tenets of equity, you know, and everything in there as well. Um, and it's really, you know, like for me when I think about this stuff, it's like getting back to you know, why we're doing it, which is there's got to be a value add to the process. Uh, there's got to be a value add uh, to everyone who's sort of participating, like they're coming through. It looks fair, it feels fair, it is fair. And it's also a predictor, right? And that's kind of like back to back to basics, you know, when we walk into our uh, assessment and selection courses, graduate students or even an undergrad, you know, they talk about all these things and there's a lot of idealism in that. Um, and I think, you know, for me, 
it's about getting back to those core elements of actually doing something that when hiring managers finish the process, you know, they seem like they get something out of it. When the applicants go through, they're like, you know, that was different, right? Because it's civil service hiring, but they're not flabbergasted. They're not like, wow, that was the most painful thing that's ever happened. Um, you know, and I really, I take it back to that perceptual stuff, right? It's like, how is our audience, how is our customers actually working through this? And and to see, and and the last thing I'll say, it's, you know, as I said, in the field of psychology or industrial psychology, like a lot of the stuff is testable, right? A lot of the stuff can be research driven and there's metrics and data and all that. And I think anything and everything we do as it ties to change, it really should be looked at through that lens. Not just let's propose something and see what happens, but let's propose something and see what's measurable out of that. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Jesse Stanton. I'm a work, uh, eligibility worker, human service agency, and a shop steward with SEIU Local 10 to 1. And I just wanted to comment on a couple of things. Um, uh, Manager Biaspas mentioned about reducing the deadlines, the timelines, making them consistent throughout the rules. We've been uh, consistent and uh, made public comment here in this body and also in the um, meet and confers, the SEIU 10 to 1 meet and confers. That's a concern for us. We feel like some of the deadlines that's unnecessarily burdensome, three days is, a, is too short for some of those deadlines. And we have given many real world examples of situations that were stressful and burdensome during an application process uh, around those deadlines. We think uh, some of them are fine to be shortened, others are not. We think the, the move uniformly to three days is too short in some cases. Um, I'd also like to uh, just go back to the idea of the 1620 and 1622 uh, rule of the list recruitments without de-identification seems uh, that I am just incredulous. How, how can you do a merit-based recruitment using rule of the list, a huge pool of candidates, and all the names are right there in front of you? That, that the, the purpose of de-identification was to uh, uh, reduce implicit bias. I think this type of a recruitment rule of the list without de-identification is invitation to explicit bias. And uh, also, the thing out of PUC sounded weird to me as well. The hiring without a hiring before the exam and then giving the exam after for a permanent civil service. I'm, I'm not sure which classification, but that seemed weird to me. Thanks for your time. Uh, Elizabeth, we're ready for public comment um, from the telephone. President Minor, do you want to do telephone first or two panelists that have their hand raised? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's do the panelists with the hands raised, please. Okay, we'll go with Anthony Bush first because he had his hand raised for a while now. Okay. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for over this time for being here. My name is Anthony Bush. I'm with the Office of uh, with HSH, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Uh, I'm the Chief Equity Officer there. Um, just advocating for uh, a consideration of the rule changes as well. Um, we've been leading racial equity trainings internally for our department over the last two weeks, um, and specifically uh, temporary exempt staff and foundational staff have been arguing um, and kind of advocating against the uh, disparities and racial bias that these exams have um, as a current state. And just as an example, 2917 exams were taken across the city, um, and 23% of African-Americans who took the exam are, are passed, which means about 77 percent did not. Um, I am, as a former educator, I can also say that standardized testing has a history of systemic racism um, embedded within the processes 
Um, and oftentimes these exams specifically as they relate to our foundational staff are not actually assessing the skill sets that's necessary to do the job functionality. Meaning if you're a case manager working in crisis with someone in a shelter, um, it is not asking you the skill set of how to de-escalate someone. There is no actual accessible metric on that uh, exam that assesses for this. And so you have these mandated tests, which largely don't actually capture the job functionalities that you would need to do the job effectively. You've also had permanent or uh, temporary exempt staff in positions onwards of upwards of eight years um, who've consistently test and test and test and never get that passage rate and are being overlooked for their benefits and other things that would allow them to um, seek permanence within the uh, exam process or within the city process in general. Um, as I also was a rater on one of the exams for racial equity, which was um, a first of its kind. Um, I'm the inaugural chief equity officer for the department, so there's no uh, position in the city as it relates to this uh, current um, skill set that that is accessible. Um, and the candidates that I received were were subpar, if at all. Some of them, their job experience was just that they worked with people of color, and that was their racial equity fluency. And yet, these were people who actually passed the exam. Um, we were able to do a differentiated process in recruitment, and luckily, I was able to find an equity officer with not only lived experience, but racial fluency and literacy within these issues. Um, so I just raise this as a concern to say, even if it's if it's something that we need to adhere to and it's uh, we continue to have these exams, um, potentially offering differentiated approaches as a means to assess uh, the qualifications for different classifications. Also seeking guidance from DHR on what classifications do we have um, internally to also do this differentiated approach um, and which larger you know city uh, departments or city classifications would we have to go through this kind of advocated process happy to be uh, a partner in this in this think tank with you all and and to consider other options as well um and i yield my time thank you very much for this opportunity uh thank you manager bush um there's one other panelist i see the initials dj dj but don't see the name diana jew okay. is next Hello, everyone. This is Diana Jew. I'm the human resources director at San Francisco recreation and parks department. Um, and I just want to say that I'm my department is of the opinion that. The need to collaborate and work together to update and meet the hiring needs is really quite urgent right now. We need more flexibility. And the ability to address the confusing and complex rules. Um, we find that candidates actually turn away given the amount of time it takes for hiring and there has to be ways we can meet the needs for fairness and equity, um, but also change the processes so they're more up to date and allow for accessible ways for those to compete that are unable to do the more traditional route of testing in a room on paper or on a computer. Um, so we look forward to working together to see what can be done to um, help the candidate pool be hired more quickly and fairly. Thank you. Uh, thank you. President Miner. before we continue with the callers, we do have a comment that was sent by civil service email and our deputy director, Lavina Holmes, is going to read that. Okay, thank you. Message is sent by Erica Reed Ellis from the Department of Public Health. It reads, greeting Civil Service Commission. Thank you for welcoming my written suggestion on expediting hiring and potential rule changes. I understand the challenges the civil, the city and county of San Francisco faces when it comes to staffing and retention. During the past monthly HR all hands meetings, there have been discussions 
and requested suggestions on recruitment and retention. In an effort to retain talent and fill open FTEs, I would ask, strongly suggest, that there be discussions on considering extending the E2P program for employees that are currently working in a TEX professional CAT 18 categories. Nevertheless, I'm aware that many government agencies are struggling to return staffing levels back to pre-COVID-19 status and working diligently to fill open civil service vacancies. I strongly believe that extending the E2P program is a great way to retain your top talent for those that are interested in PCS opportunities with city and county of San Francisco, please kindly take into consideration those that are working in CAT 18 categories, also supporting the agency's mission and working hard to keep operations moving forward. As a CAT 18 professional, I have the qualifications, education, local government experience, and other professional characteristics which support the city and county mission and agency core values. I hope this suggestion is appropriate. It is met with the most respect and humbleness. Again, please, please consider extending the E2P program to those of us professionally currently working in TEX CAT 18 categories. It would be a great opportunity to further my professional career with the city and county of San Francisco while supporting the mission and retention program. Lastly, by extending the E2P program, it will support in filling the, those citywide vacancies and retain talent. Please feel free to reach out to me if you would like to discuss further this gentle suggestion. Thanks in advance for your time and attention. Erica Reed Ellis, Senior Human Resources Analyst, DPH Labor Relations Unit. Thank you, Deputy Director. Um, Elizabeth, we're ready for the telephone commenters. Okay, President Miner, I'll unmute the first caller. Caller, please state and spell your name clearly for the record. My name is Ellen Lee Zhao, E-L-L-E-N-L-E-E-Z-H-O-U. I spoke earlier today. I was a health worker for San Francisco Public Health for many years. I am a SEIU 1021 delegate representing for public workers. I am a resident for more than 37 years in San Francisco. I ran for San Francisco mayor in 2019 and 2018. San Francisco's hiring policy discriminates against unvaccinated workers. More than 2,000 workers being fired who are Christians, Catholics, and religious believers and freedom seekers. Uh, we, people are fired in 2022. As of today, May 15, 2023, Unvaccinated workers still not allowed to work in the city government. San Francisco government and many leaders have been paid and bought, controlled by the deep state agenda 21, the globalist one world order government to force a bioweapon COVID-19 vaccine to destroy San Francisco, California, United States on purpose. May God bless each the worker who forced to accept a bioweapon COVID-19 vaccine to keep their job. San Francisco public leaders refuse to hire unvaccinated people to work, refuse to grant religious exemption. San Francisco leaders include the mayor, Mayor Lenton Breed, Human Resources Director, Public Health, Order Staff, and Employer Labor Relations Director. 
directly discriminated against unvaccinated Christians, Catholics, and other religious believers. As of today, there are many lawsuits filed by unvaccinated workers against no vaccine, no job policy that cost the taxpayer a lot of money, which is the government waste. It is government abuse created by management staff and city electoral officials. It takes about five to nine months to hire a public employee in San Francisco, plus trainings, plus six months on probation, about 12 to 15 months to keep a new employee, which costs taxpayer a lot of money to hire a new employee. Yet, San Francisco still enforced the no vaccine, no job hiring policy that discriminated unvaccinated workers, no justice, no peace. I am here today asking the civil commissions to work with appropriate department heads, city leaders to end the un unvaccinated, no job, vac vaccinated mandate for jobs. We call all terminated, unvaccinated workers back to work. May God have mercy for San Francisco residents. Save us, the unvaccinated workers, from the lawlessness leaders in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And thank you for your time. God bless you all. Thank okay. you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, we're ready for the next public commenter. Good afternoon, um, Civil Service Commission and President of the Board. Uh, my name is Cheryl Thornton, and I'm a city and county of San Francisco employee of DPH. Um, and I want to speak about these changes to um, the rule changes. Um, during the pandemic, there were, prior to the pandemic, there were many employees who had taken civil service exams. And when the pandemic came up, uh, only certain people were given opportunity to move up. And um, it was seemed like it was more of a fa friends and family deal going on uh, versus going to the list, looking for people who had been waiting on lists for many, uh, had taken the test, the, the civil service exam many times, but had failed to be hired. Yet they took people who had little experience from the outside, came in and they wanted those people to be trained by the people who are actually working and waiting. They could have created pipelines for people to do expedited hiring for people who are on civil service list, but that did not occur. Furthermore, the Department of Public Health is not even doing performance appraisals for a lot of their uh, employees. So they can't even get documented what their job experience is. And so, and this is part of the merit system. And this has gone on for years and years and years. There's been lawsuits about it. And this is, uh, so this is unfair what, what is actually happening to weaken the merit system so that you guys can hire family and friends is discriminatory. I would also like to ask if you guys would call for the race and data uh, 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 for, for all the people that were hired and how many of them that were black and brown people, they were hired, but then they didn't even make it. And furthermore, uh, a lot of the hiring is being stalled. Like I work right now in a unit, I'm down to two people. They will not approve the requisitions, the controller's office, I guess they're doing salary savings. So we have to just work without enough employees. They won't hire 
And this is, I'm not sure why this is happening. Did they hire too many managers and were too top heavy so they can't hire? I'm not sure. But I just think another process has to come into play here because you cannot, we cannot trust the managers and the directors of this department to do the right thing because it's been demonstrated time and time again that they have not. And so this is an unfair process. I'm against it. I've been trying to get promoted for the longest of time and I couldn't, I've been trying to get a performance appraisal. Regardless that I filed a lawsuit, I still have not re received the performance appraisal. So no, I think that this is totally unfair. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ms. Thornton. Uh, any additional public comment? President Minor, no further public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, Executive Officer, before we leave this agenda item, did you have any additional come, any public comment? Sandra Ng, Civil Service Commission, Executive Officer. I'd like to give public comment. I understand the commissioners really wanted to hear from all the other departments and union representatives. And normally you're hearing from our HR director and the executive officer, but there are some things that have not been brought up that it feels very important for the commissioners to understand. And that has to do with really, we need to collaborate and that means partner up, including the Civil Service Commission in all discussions regarding rule proposals, policy changes, because I can share with you, union representatives are continuously contacting our office, asking for explanations on why is a department doing this? Can they do this? Are there other options? What you heard, for example, from school district employees and the union representatives, we've had several discussions with DHR and the school district about why we have so many exempt employees. And understandably, there are also financial reasons how are departments available to afford to be able to conduct examinations at the same time that DHR actually gave me a wonderful opportunity without realizing it by inviting me to the hiring modernization meetings. So when I was able to participate in those meetings with department heads and deputies and hiring managers, the light opened up completely that we needed to partner up with these individuals. Um, although the rules are hard to understand, Speaking in a room full of hiring managers, the moment I answered the questions, many of them, it was the first time they were hearing the interpretation of the rules or they had the ability to participate, that they could do more than just rely on um, the eligible list, that they can partner up with HR divisions on recruiting. They already have the special expertise. They know which uh, universities or communities to go and recruit these individuals, but they were not aware that they could participate and team up with the HR teams in their departments. So I want to emphasize that um, even with the civil service advisors that we have, we're going to do more, but most important is that as departments are learning and the unions have learned a great deal, they automatically will include me in their meetings or ask to be uh, CC'd in the email because they want me to see what is the communication going on, how misunderstandings have occurred. So that's why it's great that the commission uh, has this type of 
uh, open discussion where everyone can come forward. There are more, and as DHR has asked, they'd like to continue this meeting. I would like to do so so we can give more notices. It was difficult just to get the notices out to departments because we were not allowed to use either the HR professionals link or the department head link uh, to uh, reach out to people. In fact, many have been calling me early this morning. Is there any way they can speak at another time to the commission? Because they did want to share their concerns. And as the commissioners had asked, they do not want departments, unions, anyone, uh, our stakeholders to be influenced by the executive officer or the HR director. You want to hear them. And I've heard them specifically. They all have different challenges going on in their department. Thank you. Thank you, executive officer. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments um, at the stage? Vice President Favetti. Actually, I think we have. I, I'm particularly appreciative of some of the more uh, specific. I, although, I, number one, I appreciate the time everybody has spent here. I am particularly appreciative of some of the uh, more specific comments because it allows us to have a roadmap for towards the future and where we need to really focus in on. Um, and uh, so I already I have ideas and. Um, uh, and it, um, I think it is completely doable. Um, and I just think it's uh, I'm very, very much thankful for all the input that we receive, but especially. Those uh, th those individuals were allowed to or were uh, um, able to give us some specificity specificity that allows us a roadmap as far as the rules are concerned. Thank you very much. Great, thank you, uh, commissioners. Any additional comments? Okay, on behalf of the commission, I'd like to thank everyone who participated uh, today. Uh, we do realize it was short notice. Uh, we've had two recommendations to continue the hearing uh, so that we can create space for collaboration, further input, and to come up with a plan uh, to tackle uh, what needs to be done in order to modernize our roles as well as to deal with the current employment challenges that the city and county uh, will face. And so uh, the suggestion has been made that we continue the hearing uh, to a time in the future. Um, I look forward to doing that, uh, to hearing further input. And I think that we will come up with a plan so that um, the specifics as to how we will go forward will be clear for everyone and uh, your level of participation will will help us continue on this path to make some improvements and changes in the rules. So thank you again for your participation. Um, we are ready for the next agenda item. 
Item 13, appeal by Junji Lee of rejection of application for 7318 electronic maintenance technician. Recommendation of the Municipal Transportation Agency. Adopt the report and deny the appeal by Junji Lee. Okay. Is the uh, is appellant Lee with us or is he on the telephone? Okay, uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your appeal. The process that we will follow is we will first hear from uh, MTA. MTA is in the hearing room with us. And then we will turn to to you to get your input. And then thereafter, there will be questions by the commission. Okay, we are ready. Thank you, MTA, for being here. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Shivani Nath. Last name is N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, T as in Tom, H as in House. I'm an examinations and classification manager at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. On October 19th, 2021, the SFMTA posted an examination announcement for 7318 electronic maintenance technician. The job ad, the job ad was then reopened on March 25th 2022 to broaden the applicant pool. Applicants who had applied during the original opening did not need to reapply. <clears throat> the minimum qualifications for this position require one, completion of a two-year or equivalent program in electronics from a recognized academic trade or technical institution or completion of an equivalent two-year military training program in electronics, and two, three years of verifiable journey-level industrial electronic experience or industrial instrument instrumentation and control experience performing inst installation, cal calibration, maintenance, troubleshooting, repair, and modification of electronic control systems and related electrical components and electronic subsystems to the level of the electronic component such as integrated circuits, transistors, diodes, capacitors, resistors, etc. and 3 possession of a valid California driver's license. No appeals were received regarding the minimum qualifications on the announcement. <clears throat> Junji Lee applied for this recruitment on October 27, 2021, and the exam and classification unit staff determined that the experience listed on their application by the close date of the job ad was insufficient to meet the minimum qualifications. Specifically, Lee did not demonstrate that they had any qualifying experience as of the new job ad close date. Also, Lee did not provide documents that clearly support his Associate of Science degree in electronic engineering from an international university as listed on their application. <clears throat> Lee is currently employed by the SFMTA and is appointed to class code 7381 as an automotive mechanic. In this class, Lee is responsible for the mechanical work in the maintenance, repair, and overhaul of automotive equipment. While mechanics might repair the vehicle by removing and replacing defective electrical, electronic parts and systems, they are not responsible for inspecting, fixing, and maintaining the electrical circuits and complex electronic parts of that system that energize or control movement or otherwise command a device an action to perform. 
Lee did not have any other relevant work experience listed on their application. A letter written by Adrian Scott, Transit Shop Supervisor 1, was submitted as a verification document during the reconsideration period. Because the letter spoke to duties that would be outside, considered out of class and qualifying experience for the subject 7318 appeal, and because the letter was written outside of a formal acting assignment and was not supported by any performance appraisals in Lee's personnel file, the letter was treated as a non-contemporaneous document. It is the process of MTA to obtain further support of that work that is outlined in the letter by someone other than the person that it was authored by. This is due to a history of receiving non-contemporaneous documentation that is unable to be supported as actually work being performed. For this, the ENC unit reached out to the Transit Division to gather work samples, logs, and other relevant information that would corroborate the duties accounted for in this letter. Transit responded to ENC's request and stated that Luis Guzzo, Chief Mechanical Officer, concurred with the letter from Shields that Lee was in fact performing journey level qualifying electronics work down to the component level and that he had been doing it since 2019. This decision was attempted to be supported by work orders. Upon receipt, William Miles, Talent Acquisition Senior Manager, reviewed the documentation and noted the highlighted items in the work orders were like a previous review the division performed in 2022 for another candidate, where the work was determined to be electrical mechanical repairs and not electronics repair and not work at the electronics component level. This was expressed back to the transit division and they responded that they had no additional documentation to show that qualifying work was assigned and performed. Therefore, the letter was not certified by the chief people officer and ultimately not counted toward the experience for the minimum qualifications. ENC staff reviewed Lee's appeal. It is noted in the appeal that Lee indicates that they were an electronics technician at a company in China and in Foster City. These employers were listed on his application, but specific qualifying work duties were not listed and no further verification was received. Based on Lee's current appointed class at the SFMTA, Lee is in the correct series and should explore upward mobility paths in the automotive series. The next appropriate step for Lee would be the 7382 Automotive Mechanic Assistant Supervisor. There are no plans for a 7382 exam as of today, but it would be prudent for Lee to sign up for job alerts as the examination plan is being constantly updated. The next 738-7318 job ad is projected to reopen in the last week of May 2023. If Lee chooses to reapply, it would be important that Lee include detailed information of the tasks that they have performed as an electronics technician with the employers that they had listed on their application and appeal. It would also be prudent for Lee to look into services for their foreign degree. Their services would provide credential evaluations that would be attached as a part of their application so that it is clear on whether Lee meets the training requirements. I'm happy to provide the website information that is listed on the Department of Human Resources website if necessary. SFMTA respectfully requests that the Commission deny Lee's appeal of rejection for the 7318 Electronic Maintenance Technician Exam. 
please be advised that I also have my manager, Bill Miles, Talent Acquisition Senior Manager here with me today, and we are happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, commissioners, we'll move to um, the statement by the appellant and then um, open it up for questions from both uh, from the commissioners for uh, both parties. Uh, appellant Lee. We're ready to hear your statement. Good afternoon. My name is Chen Jie Li. Um, yeah, I just uh, try to maybe can tell a little bit. Can you hear me right now? Do you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Yeah, my name is John Jelly. Um, I'm working at SFM MTA since uh, 2019. Um, before 2019, I was a car mechanic for six to seven years. I was uh, born and educated from China. I was uh, have a uh, no, no two years degree. Electronics and work for the electronic com company in China for three years. To basically, we do TV, VCR monitors. So I'm in a, a system engineer for quality control department. Do all the troubleshooting, testing, calibration, and the repair defects. And that's the up since uh, 1991, I immigrated from China to here. So I found another electronic job is in Force City. A company called Maxby is a semiconductor electronic company. Actually, I Googled them two months ago. This company bankruptcy on 2004, no, yeah, 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 2004, yeah, because uh, I tried to work for this company to get some experience verification letters from the company, but uh, since the bankruptcy, I, I cannot get it. Because the foreign experience is uh, too far away from China, that's, uh, I didn't get anything from China, that's, uh, also for the two years training education, because I was thinking about it, try to come to the United States, maybe go to another college. That's I didn't verify my foreign diploma. But recently, I take a two years electronic certificate from City College. And actually, this week is my last week for the certificate programs. So far, I finished all the class and the straight A. This last week, we have final next week. So pretty much I will have my certificate from City College also. Since the work order, since the experience from MTA, like my supervisor, my manager, my superintendent, they write a letter for me. And also 
Bantan Human Resource asks them give more detail for their work at performance. Because in Muni, the work order is most of them, maybe 90% they create by the maintenance controller. So if they put a man name on the system, they cannot really show up what exact detail what I did. If the work order created by me, so they can print out, that's the that's the letter print out from my division woods send to the human resource. But for those work order created by me, most of them they don't show the exact detail because most work order not created by me. But since 2019, I work for Woods. My daily job is like do like a hybrid system. That's high voltage electronic control components. I do tear a part to change those parts inside, include the circuit capacitor, dial, transistor, integrated circuit. It's exactly do like electronic technician doing. It's, um, that's like every every year my supervisor and my managers they get give me annual evaluation. They always for like electronic electricity just level me above a bit beyond the requirement for. 7318, no, no, 7381. That's, uh, I also have another crew work who we worked together for 17 years. He became to 18, 18 electronic technician two years ago. And we have exactly same experience from Munich. I just got a why he passed the verification to take a test. I can't. Because I cannot get the experience from my previous electronic company, the bankruptcy. I cannot find the people. If I can, if I do find out, I do kind of ask them a writer, the verification. Lady. I just say, uh, even right now, sometimes the electronic technician come to Woods to do the diagnostic. I think two times I help them to figure out the problems. That's that's what I say. I, I, I think from my experience from the electronic, electrical type of system, and the electric bus, I'm fully qualified to become 7318. This just for the verification. We do have another test to take. If I cannot pass the test, I still cannot be 7318. That's I come here to appear. There's a, when I tell my supervisor, my manager, I say, I didn't pass the verification. So they tell me you can go to appeal. That's a come to appeal. Um, this all 
I can say please just think a little bit more careful, think about it. I'm really want to be 7318 electronic technician. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So, uh, commissioners, um, we will, uh, we're open for questions and comments from commissioners to MTA and to appellantly. Um, Vice President Favetti. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I was noting uh, in your report, I guess on page five, uh, that um, uh, senior manager Miles had reviewed the documentation, noted the items highlighted were similar to a previous review that was that was uh, conducted, I guess, on October 10, 2022, for another comment or for another candidate, excuse me. I was wondering that that candidate was denied and I was wondering if that if that um, that denial had been appealed to the Civil Service Commission and had we already heard that case. Hi, uh, yes, as far as the non-contemporaneous documentations we received from the division, um, although they're redacted, you'll probably see in the attachments that we received seven different letters uh, for individuals stating that they were doing comparable work, even though they were not in that classification to be doing the work. Um, the very first one we got back from the division was a very similar attachment to what we got in this appeal, highlighting some electrical duties that were done. Um, as I looked at them, um, just myself knowing the difference between electrical and electronic with my conversations with Local 6, um, I did come back to the hiring division at that time and ask them to do a re-review of that to determine whether or not they're electrical or electronic and to give us a reasoning as to why they're electronic or which ones are. As I could tell, many of them were not. Um, they then agreed with us, Louis Gusgo, the manager described in the report that uh, originally validated the letter, that they were actually electrical in nature. So that candidate was um, one of the individuals that was um, rejected for the recruitment, and there was no appeal by that candidate. Okay, but this is an issue that we've heard before on exactly that same topic. You've heard a very similar one between the 7371 electrical transit system mechanic series and the 7381 automotive mechanic series. Um, the 7318 is similar, probably more similar to the 7371 electrical series in that they're both working with electricity. Um, however, they have different job functions. So the electrical mechanics are really more responsible for what I would say repair or replace, dewiring the electrical piece, taking it out, putting a new piece in, while then it's supposed to be shipped to a shop where the electronics workers would actually look at the device, figure out what's wrong with it, replace the transistor, the capacitor, whatever's wrong, so we can get that device working again. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, the other question has to do with um, when an individual provides uh, documentation in another language, um, what, would be acceptable to be uh, considered. Um, how do you deal with that generally? Yeah, so 
Um, as we've actually talked, myself and uh, Ms. Nath, for this um, recruitment, um, if we had seen that the other verification was qualifying, it would have been advantageous for us to reach out to the um, candidates to then ask if we can get that translated and certified as translated uh, so that we can then consider it. Uh, but since the other experience verification did not qualify either, uh, we did not take that step for this particular uh, recruitment. Um, for um, if we get, for example, this is a training program, but just to mention if it was more like an accredited degree, then they need to go through companies that really mention or review the degree to say that is equivalent to a United States accredited program. Uh, so there are um, websites, institutions that actually do that work that we would send the candidate to. Um, yes. And could a candidate or an applicant uh, easily access on your website information on where to go? Would that be something they could find or would that be something they would have to ask specifically? Um, yeah, the information is actually um, available on the job ad. There's a link on it um, and uh, it provides all the information under that job link or that link on the job ad, sorry. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes, exactly. I would manage to make sure that that was there for the record. I don't, uh, I, um, uh, those were all the questions I had at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, additional questions? Um, I have a question that is less specific to the appeal and um, in line with our previous agenda item. So I'm noting that this job ad was originally posted on October 19. Um, our appellant applied the end of October and then it was re posted or reopened in March, really five months later. That is correct. And we're talking about the length of time um, for processing applications. And I wondered if you had any comment about this five month period of time um, between when it was originally posted and when it was reposted. Um, I'm going to go ahead and defer to Bill on that one. I think he has more specifics on it, but it's my understanding it had to do with just non-contemporaneous documentations that we had received. And for that reason, um, there were delays. And because of the delays, we decided we had to reopen the bulletin at that point to then allow additional candidates to um, apply um, and also to gain a, to broaden the applicant pool. But I'll let Bill speak more on it. I'm actually trying to validate that in my notes and I'm not positive. I do know that we had um, a number of recruitments from the other series that we talked about that we did close down the announcement. We did a very long review of the non-contemporaneous documents and given the amount of time that that took, we basically stated like we should really open this to take more applications. Um, 
I was trying to look at the attachments and those were in 2022. So I wasn't seeing a 2021 one to make sure that was the case here. Mm -hmm. uh, but my recollection is that that was part of the case was the fact that we were trying to review applications. There was difficulty in the review. And this is a very hard to fill classification for the city and county of San Francisco, where we basically said, well, we might as well take some more applications uh, while we're still doing this review instead of having this closed and maybe can get some more candidates that we could actually hire from this recruitment. And do you recall how many eligibles? How many eligibles were on the last? Uh, yeah, based, based upon, so you, you had the job ad originally in October, you reopened it in March. Right. So how that, many eligibles on the list? 23. 23. And it was adopted March of 2023 um, and it's still not enough. I know you didn't ask this question, but it's probably good to share that. It's still not enough to uh, satisfy the number of vacancies we have the MTA. Mm -hmm. um, we currently have uh, 41 vacancies um, and it's not an MTA classification only. So there's other departments that also utilize it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Um, commissioners, any additional questions for either the MTA or the appellant? I just, um, maybe it's a comment, a question for the appellant, Mr. Lee. Um, I was concerned, um, are you aware of the website where you can access um, different organizations to review your qualifications and to certify, uh, particularly those in um, that were in China and were submitted without a translation? They could actually submit, a, a, they could translate into uh, and could possibly certify what your qualifications are as you submitted them and the experience you had um, in China. Uh, were, you aware, were you aware of that particular, uh, of, of that access that you had through the application process or that link? Yeah, I'm, I see the links, but uh, unfortunately, the both of these two companies I work for, for the electronic company, they're bankruptcy. So oh, I don't have any connection with anymore. And also for my foreign diploma, because that's a foreign one I, I didn't really like bring here to do the uh, verify certificate that that's I went to City College to get, get another two years. So this is my last week. Yeah. Also, last semester for this program. So after this week, I'm gonna get a certificate from City College. So I don't need a, to translate my foreign diploma anymore. So okay. that's a that's a but but for the for the train for the education. So I do can get get a City College one, and then pretty soon I will have my certificate. But for the two electronic company. I, I work for it, but because both of them bankruptcy, so I don't have any connection. Right. I was just I was looking in terms of the translation. That's yeah. what I was the certified translation services. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you, thank you. 
Um, and when are uh, Mr. Miles? When, when will you be reopening the uh, the uh, announcement again? I'll let Shivani answer that question, and I have one further comment for the appellants. Um, by the end of this month is what we're projecting, so fairly soon here. Okay. Um, I did want to make a comment regarding the bankruptcy part of that, um, just for the knowledge of the appellant, because um, I don't believe that was brought to the attention of the analysts as we are going through this process. But uh, that's one of the situations we have where, you know, verification can be impossible to obtain if a company has gone out of business. Um, so what I would recommend for the appellant, if this was electronics work that was performed in China, is that the next time that it's submitted, uh, make sure you know, buffer up the job description so we can see exactly electronics work performed in that job. But then when it gets to the point of verification, if needed, um, we can with, do what's called a request for um, a waiver of experience, where essentially the candidate would be explained to us why they were not able to obtain the verification and the methodology requested. Um, they would give us the information which could be supported. So in this case, it sounds like the appellant did look up, see that the companies were bankrupt. That seems to be public knowledge on a website. So we can use that as part of the personnel file and then have the individual self-certify to that experience. And if the information that they're self-certifying seems to be qualified, each of these is reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. So I can't make a guarantee that it would be approved at this time until we saw it. Um, but that would be something that the appellant would be able to use uh, for a future recruitment uh, to quote unquote verify that experience to our standards. And then uh, just to confirm, would you need a, uh, Mr. Miles, would you need a certified translation by chance or not? Um, considering I'm hearing that they're finishing a city college program, as long as that meets the criteria of the two year training program that we require, no city college does have one, um, then we wouldn't need that for the previous um, diploma that we received. Um, it would not be um, disadvantageous to get a translation of that in case the city college program is not within the electronics program that we're looking for. Uh, if the one from, um, I think it was China, is um, an electronics program that would qualify. Um, plus for the advantage of the appellants that would make it so that they have that translation for any other job that they would apply to should that be needed. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you so uh, one further question and then we'll take a motion. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Miles, uh, your uh, managers who are generating these non-contemporaneous uh, letters uh, indicating the work that they claim employees are doing um, organizationally, is there a non-punitive way to coach these employees so that they are aware of what the process is and to make it clear to them that their letter is actually subject to verification? Yeah, so we have had conversations with this division in particular. Um, it is not to say that they are the only division that has given us non-contemporaneous letters, as I kind of mentioned previous in this meeting. Um, but given the amount that we were receiving, we did have um, some discussions with the director of that unit and they have at least told us that we should not expect to be getting any more of these letters in the future uh, that are staying some experience and that way we'll be documenting things through the performance appraisals or through actual logs and not through these types of letters. Okay, great. 
Very good. Thank you. I think that'll help the entire organization. Okay, uh, commissioners, uh, a, we are ready for a motion and a second, if there is one. Um, I, in view, especially then, so this is going to be opening up very soon, uh, but I will at this point move to deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the department. Um, and advise Mr. Lee that you can submit your additional documentation when the exam opens up uh, probably at the end of this month or very soon. And is there a second? Yeah, I'll second the motion. Um, and also note, as did Commissioner Favetti, that there seems to be an opportunity once you have the um, city college certificate uh, to apply again and perhaps um, provide additional information that might lead to your qualifying. So. Anyway, I do second the motion, though, to deny in this instance, because the showing was not made uh, for the exam in question. Okay, uh, thank you, commissioners. We have a motion and a second to um, uphold the decision and deny the appeal. Uh, if you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. All right. Uh, Commissioner Zerobe, I'll vote on the pending uh, motion. Vice President Favetti. Aye. Commissioner Chan. Aye. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. And I vote aye. We have voted to, uh, ex to uphold the report and deny the appeal. Uh, Mr. Lee, you've gotten a lot of information today about what you need to do when this uh, position opens up again. And we wanna encourage you to call on resources available to assist you in the qualification process, in documenting the qualification process, because it appears that with your uh, upcoming uh, completion at City College, you are likely to meet the MQs. <laughs> So good luck in the future, and uh, thank you for um, being with us today. Thank you. Okay, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item 14, appeal by Hector Fernandez of rejection of application for 7318 electronic maintenance technician, recommendation of the Municipal Transportation Agency, adopt the report and deny the appeal by Hector Fernandez. Is Appellant Fernandez with us? Elizabeth, does he appear to be online? Reminder, not online as a panelist. I don't know if he's uh, called in, uh, but I do not see him logged on. Executive officer, did we hear from him during the week? Um, no, we did not hear from him. If the appellant is on the phone, will you please press star three? So it will signal uh, staff to unmute you.
President Minor, nobody is raising their hand at this time, so um, I believe the appellate is not is a no show. Okay. And staff has confirmed we have not heard from him. Um, he did not accept the WebEx invite. Oh, okay. That's helpful to know. Uh, commissioners, how would you like to proceed? I would like to ask the um, the department. Um, have you specifically told Mr. Fernandez um, that uh, he should submit information regarding his experience? I guess at Saramont Ford and um, some of the other uh, car dealers or that he was working with. That because that might qualify him. I noticed it was in your staff report. But um, has he been advised of that at all? Because if this is going to be this exam is going to be opening up again at the end of the month, um, and he does qualify, it would be very useful information for him. Uh, based on what I see here, I don't see that you know, uh, based on that the information that's been presented to us to date and what he submitted um, on his application, I would normally deny the appeal and. Uphold the decision of the, or I would move to deny the appeal and, unless there's other considerations um, and uphold the decision of the, the department. But I really want to make sure that he knows that if he submitted this additional information, it would possibly that it could be considered. And since he didn't submit it in this last iteration, I am no, I'm not aware of any additional communications that we've had with the candidate aside from the staff report that does advise him. Um, to reapply for um, or to when he competes next time to include the information from Saramonte, Ford, and Volkswagen, I believe is what the experience was. Um, but um, I think Bill wants to say something, so I'm going to go ahead and give it over to him. Yeah, just to clarify, if I'm hearing correctly, um, we did contact Mr. Fernandez uh, about um a week and a half ago maybe two weeks ago right before we submitted the report um to let him know and because we have such a high need for these positions we've actually had another recruitment we had opened and have already closed and we have another one that's going to come at the end of this month so uh, mr fernandez actually did put in an application for the most recent recruitment uh, since we did give him a phone call and said like you know just give you a heads up this is what's going to be on our staff report this is why we can't consider it because it wasn't on your application uh, but we do highly advise you put an application and you include that experience so we can consider it for the next time around uh, so oh. yes, he has been advised of that, and we are aware that he did submit an application. He did include that experience, and now we just need to review it as a part of our process. Thank you so very, very much, uh, and thank you for doing that. Um, unless there are other questions from commissioners. Uh, commissioners, any questions? So based on the record uh, before us and the discussion with the department, are we prepared to make a motion? Yes, I, I would deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the human resources director. I would move so in, in such a way. Second. Okay, we have a motion to deny the appeal, uh, deny the appeal, upholding um, the decision of um, MTA. Um, if you're in the room and you have public comment on the motion before the commission, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now.
President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote on the um, motion to adopt the report uh, upholding the decision of MTA and deny the appeal. Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Chan? Aye. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. And I vote aye. So based on the record before us, we have denied um, the appeal and adopted the report. Uh, thank you, MTA. Thank you, and thank, thank you for you. your work. Okay, Executive Officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. Item 15, Commissioner's announcements or requests. Uh, Vice President Favetti. Um, I have a suggestion um, that possibly we place the personal services contract follow-up reports on the consent agenda, just for consideration by the executive officer and commissioners if any, in the future, possibly. And then um, I, uh, I'm certain that uh, others are going to also mention this, but the uh, possible follow up on uh, the public comment on from the San Francisco Unified School District and the exam program. And then also to take in the uh, item number three would be to take into consideration information presented by. Uh, Angela Calvillo the, for the Board of Supervisors salary setting for next fiscal year. So, so. Vice President Favetti, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, with reference to the uh, salary setting for next year, I think, and going forward, I think it would be useful in the in the packet to include the full text of the charter provisions that um relate to the, these determinations um so i'm going to make that suggestion uh, for us going forward mm -hmm. um and um through the chair i didn't under i didn't quite get what uh, commissioner favetti's first comment was about um the pscs oh yeah commissioner favetti you want to repeat your comment please Oh, yeah, the uh, follow up reports on the per personal services contracts, uh, rather than putting them on regular agenda, put them on the consent agenda. Okay. So, if there are additional questions, um, we would pull it, but if they're not, we could approve them all in one and, and uh, move them forward. Yeah. Uh, and unless people want to have a discussion on it. Mm -hmm. um, and with respect to the uh, reports for salaries for the Board of Supervisors and electeds. Uh, in the time I've been on the commission, we have always inquired as to the status of, of um, raises for city employees. And I think that that information would be helpful for us to have in the actual report um, so that um, in reviewing the report, with the charter information, we'll have that before we come to the meeting. Mm -hmm. Okay, any additional comments? Your deputy city attorney greatly thanks you for those suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're ready for the last agenda item. Item 16, adjournment. It is 5.47 p.m.
Thank you. <laughs> See, I was busy trying to read the charter myself. I did not want to 